Hey you, you're listening to Stonecast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time, Jay Ferguson, Chris Murphy, Patrick Pentland, and Andrew Scott, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow super fan hosts. I'm Rob, this is Ken. Ken, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm trying to contain my excitement at this very early hour of the morning. Oh, buddy, I'm so excited too. And listener, we hope you're excited as well, seeing this uh, episode come up, seeing who our guest is this week. Amazing. Uh, how awesome is this? We are now two for four of, of the Sloan members. This is going to be an amazing interview, an amazing time uh, spent with uh, the one and only Patrick Pentland. Patrick, how's it going, sir? How are you doing? I'm, I'm well. How are you guys? Pretty good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's uh, new in your world? Um, uh I'm saying that uh, vaccinated, I got vaccinated last week, so we'll see how that goes. Cool. Uh, and the rest of Sloan are uh, either getting, have been or are getting vaccinated. So we're all getting one step closer to being able to go and play shows. And, you know, we were doing a tour. I don't know if we're finishing that tour or not, but, um, but uh, we do have tour dates booked for the end of the year. So uh, we're hoping to definitely hoping to be able to do those and then also we uh we did start recording a new record uh last year and then it just ground to a halt <laughs> so yeah. i'm not sure what's up with that and i've since written tons more songs so i don't know what's gonna happen. like we did some bed track or some drums hmm. uh but depending on who you talk to the permanence of those drums is either those <laughs> are the drums or we did something so um but uh anyway so we do have stuff going on uh, but we're just kind of waiting like everybody else. Cool. Well, I mean, I don't want to, you know, burst anybody's bubble, but I mean, we are kind of getting an exclusive here about a new Sloan album. So, well, can... we're always kind of sure. I mean, we're not, uh, I, I would imagine that it would be predictable that we would do one, but how, how are you feeling about the songs you've written? Like, are they, uh, oh, I like this them. is something we've been uh, talking about on the show. Like what's the next one going to sound like, you know, is it going to feel like this era or is it going to feel like a combination of these? Um, do you have a sense of that at all at the moment? Or I think it's, I feel like we always do records in threes and not really on purpose, but I mean, I consider sort of one chord, maybe blues and between the bridges, maybe an era. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, what's after that between the bridges, the pretty together, Pretty together, and then the best of, and then action packed or whatever they get in there, or actually the best of's after whatever. But those I always kind of lump together, and then never hear the end of it. Out has been sort of, but even there, I feel like never hear the end of it. Double cross and parallel play, or whichever way they came out, and then the new one. So I feel like uh, I feel the next one will be rock, like a rockier record, maybe okay. like my songs are. I think. Um, I mean, I I started this fuzzed out thing a while ago in part to get my volume yaya's out because I was complaining <laughs> so much about being in like just having to deal with certain people who don't want to play hard rock songs all the time, which is legit. And I have other songs that aren't, but then I, I realized, you know, the one guy who's always against everybody doing something solo is putting out a record with another band. So why don't I just <laughs> do my thing? And do all the volume stuff and all the histrionics there. Not all of it, but like a lot of it there. And then I can focus on whatever I want in Sloan and not be worried that I'm not going to satisfy that part of me. So, mm. but I still like to, it, it's actually helped me focus a little bit more on Sloan uh, because 
it's obvious to me what the Sloan songs would be versus what the other songs would be if I, you know, when I do more fuzzed out stuff. So, but these ones are, I think are um, along the lines of the last record, the Sloan 12 record. I think it would probably be like that. I think everybody's got something going on too. Awesome. And for those who don't know, for whatever reason, if they don't, I mean, obviously fuzzed out is yourself predominantly in Dean Bentley, yeah. who some Dean may know, yeah, some may know him from Come On with Ian Blurton, obviously, that's where I know him from. Awesome drummer. He's a lefty. So it's like looking at a mirror yeah. a little bit. Um, that's so, but, a bit disconcerting. Yeah. <laughs> how long, how long has the fuzzed out thing been going on? I mean, was that, did that exist prior to Dean being involved? Kind of like I started thinking about doing, I mean, a long time ago, probably 2014 or something, I had been talking to a few people about doing a hardcore band. It was around when the, the off record came out and I knew right. we know Steven McDonald a bit and a little bit Keith Morris. And so we were psyched about that because they're kind of like our age and they were, or Keith is older. And we were just like, yeah, that's that. Yes, of course. Why wouldn't I do this? So I was in touch with a couple of people and it didn't really pan out, but then I, I kept, I moved away from the hardcore thing and, and I really, I had wanted to do something. And for, since, twice removed or one chord people have always been like when you you should do something else and i'm like i i I can't or i've got too much going on or whatever and part of what happened was around 2016 i started talking to dean and but i don't my friend jj she who is now working at um, sonic onion but prior to that she was saying to me i'm gonna hook you up with a drummer you gotta move forward with something how about dean and i knew dean a little bit to say hello but i didn't really know him that well and chris and those guys knew him because he's part of the hockey that whole hockey crew as well. Right. We got into detail about this on a previous episode. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, I, um, uh, I met with him and, and, uh, I had some stuff and I basically was saying, I want to do, uh, like more sort of fuzzed out songs. I didn't know what the name of the band was at the time. And then it became obvious, but I also heard me, I wanted to do Sloan songs. It's my Sloan songs that live that I don't do with Sloan that much. So, I didn't want to do Money City or any of those, but, but I wanted to do other ones. So uh, like we were doing Ragdoll and we're doing Friendship and uh, I Gotta Know and those types of punky or awesome. songs. Awesome. So, and we can do all those and like Amped and stuff. So we were practicing all those songs for a while. And then um, it got to be uh, where we wanted to record. Uh, but everything took so long because I've got a young child, two other kids too, Sloan, life, and uh, and then other people involved too. Like Dean wasn't Dean works in film, so like he wasn't always available. Ryan Hazlitt wasn't available. Then in the middle of it, Sloan made another record. Then we, we were, do- and it all started with Dean when we started on the One Chord reissue tour. So during that tour, I was demoing initially. But the other thing too is I'm used to writing. Uh, I'm used to writing. Not not writing, but like. Come, like eventually ending up with about three songs, three right. or four songs. I think when right. we do Sloan records, I usually try to do five songs and then I usually pare it down to three. And so um, I realized, and my, my, my thing has always been, I have the luxury of doing that because I'm in a band with other people who write, but also it takes about 20 songs to write one half good song. Like it takes yeah. 20 hmm. pretty reasonable <laughs> attempts and so I realized that, well, if I'm going to do that for like a full band record, like a fuzzed out record, that's going to take me like 25 years to write that. I don't know <laughs> how precious I want to be about it. I don't know if this would be like I get to release one thing and that's it. So it better be the best thing ever. Or if it's like I can put things up every other day and I can just be, you know, it's either like, I, you know, I could be super prolific, but it's not special after a while. Hmm. Or I could be super rare 
but then nobody knows it's there anyway. And then when I did this, eventually I was like, well, I just want it out so that I can get the name to myself. Somebody knows that this, that's who I am or this, this is, which is basically me as solo with Dean playing drums. But, you know, we haven't played a show yet. And, and I just realized today that he's probably vaccinated already. I don't even know because I'm never in touch with him. <laughs> and so I'm going to text him and find out because I'm, I can, you know, eventually soon we'll be able to rehearse or get together and jam. And we were supposed to get together to hang out anyway. But, but the other thing that happened was like at the end of 2018 uh, or sorry, at the end of 2019, I, I, I stopped drinking. So I suddenly had a lot more focus and a lot more energy and decided to take, to take control of that part of my life. So I kind of made the wow. band stop touring for a little bit. We went home and then I know we went back out again, but uh, because of that, I just became a lot more confident in doing things that I'd wanted to do for years, but there was always a reason not to do it. And so like doing the solo acoustic things, which have not always, I mean, I'm not that type of performer really, but it was pushing myself to do these things that I know there's no way I could have done that two years, three years ago. And there's no way. Wow. So because I would have been too, my anxiety would have been way too high, my nervousness. And then I would have used alcohol or to, to combat that. And then that, then you're sort of like, uh, it's just hard to do things. And so, and, and if you make that, if you realize that's 25 years of hard, hard drinking and hard, hard anxiety, um, I really wanted to run when I felt the energy was back. Or I never really had the energy. The energies I have new energy, and um, so so then then that was another part of it. It was like, well, we've recorded these songs. Let's just get these friggin' things out and just do something. And just I just want to move forward. I don't care. I'm not obsessed with time wasted, but I'm a little bit. I mean, I'm 51, which I feel like I've I've lived a great. I, I don't regret things like I, I I took my 40s, 30s, and 40s to raise kids or to be around kids and to do that type of stuff. And and I still have, uh, you know, Frida's young, but. I have a list of people that quit booze and drugs like that I look at and I looked at for years before I compiled it for years before because nobody wants to stay drinking for 25 years. <laughs> so like, you know, I knew. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The thing is their age and when they stopped and who, who they are now. And and it was it's probably 20 people. They're all in their 50s or 60s and they're all still kicking ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're all around my age. And and if you look at all the, the greats or whatever, even back if everybody hitting around 50 has all has always you have so much experience behind you but you're not that night you're still a bit naive and you still don't know what's gonna i haven't lost i'm very cynical but i have been for probably for the first five years of sloan i was like all wide-eyed and then it was just like oh i see how it all works <laughs> hmm. uh, maybe i don't but so i have i could that's i mean i could tell you the corruption of the music industry forever i mean everybody could but <laughs> but but anyway there you know even even knowing all of those things and knowing the the evil of streaming and everything i still want to release music i still want to do it yeah. and i mean you know everybody had this little little like glimmer of hope when they heard nfts the other day and it was like what we could maybe make more money than 0.004 cents a stream or whatever like but we we probably won't <laughs> <laughs> Cool, but, but you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. At some point, who cares? Like at some point, it's not some point. Who cares? But at some point, it's just like this is what I do. Like I may, I mean, I, I, I have fights all the time with people 
certain people. Like I do this, I make music for a living. Like this is what I do. I don't know how to, I'm not a plumber. I'm not this, I'm not that. Like, you know, whatever. I mean, that's a cop out, but, but I am, I am. I realize sometimes when I, I'm embarrassed when I go to pick up my kids, what, what do you do for a living? I'm a musician. It's like, oh, okay. It's like, but I am. And I, I write songs and stuff. So this is what I do. And at 50, I feel comfortable doing that. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'd love to make more money doing it, but we do. I mean, we're okay. Kind of. Were there were there any names on that list that you want to talk about? Maybe the people who you sort of looked at and were like, maybe oh, one or two. Um, they were just like, that's sort of a model for where I'd like to be. Uh, Jim Reed from Mary Chain, Jesus Mary Chain, mm. legendary alcoholic, mm. and probably one of the ones that I would have tried to emulate at mm. one point. Uh, I've seen them a few times since they got back together, and mm. and uh, I think that that's a band that made a. Made, I mean, they're a big band for me. Most people don't don't care but they're a band that like may could have made major inroads in the states but were so completely blizzed out of their minds hmm. and so like what like oasis was nothing and so it's like there's that or primal scream i mean they're the same mary chain and primal scream are kind of the same band and so in some ways and so like there's all that and and then and then they they quit the band then they quit he quits boozing and then they come back and headline coachella and like like right. i saw them they were like the third band on Lollapalooza, mm-hmm. and that this was like 10 years maybe 10 years after psycho candy like they were kind of over yeah and then and then i saw and then and i actually i have a whole like william reed his brother the guitar player who would be a huge influence on me i i have a whole story of drinking with him one night and and uh and then like, and I'm, and he's like, we were in LA. Oh, do you want to hear this story? Have I told you this with story? It. Hit us with it. I think I told somebody this story the other day, <laughs> but I, um, we did the video for Andrew's song off of, uh, never hit the end of it. Uh, hmm. I, I got to know. Hmm. I got to try. I got to try. Yeah. Oh, I've got to know is mine. Anyway. <laughs> One of the, try a bit different. Yeah. We're both always trying to do the same thing, but anyway, <laughs> I got to try. And so we did the video. What we did was we came into town. And we played, we got funding somehow to do the video. I think the company that did it wanted us to do it mm. for some reason. And Janny McGinnis, who did all our videos as part of our sort of peripheral story, had us come and do that. So um, we flew in and we shot the video, but we, we, we did a show the night before in LA. And, and I met Alex Lifeson and I, and wow, Will Sasso was there and stuff who, we sometimes uh, say hello to and and so i got to hang out with alex for a little bit and he was like pretty cool and stuff and then the next day we shot the video was that your first time meeting alex lifeson yeah oh no we met him for the canada for africa something that we did or somebody did something Mm -hmm. at cbc and um we met him chris Moore met him than i did i think i just got my picture taken with him but uh that was then but this was because john castner who from doughboys and all systems go and now runs whatever he, one of them north by northeast or he cmw or something anyway we've known him forever and he he's friends with all, everybody in la so mm. he knows alex well he knows the rush guys well so he brought mm. alex to that show and i was talking about because ivy had ivy had just been born i think and so he had just had a, i just had ivy and he had just had oh no ivy hadn't been born yet i had marshall and he had just had a grandchild so we were talking about that way back then um and so Anyway, so then we we did the video, and at the end of the video, we all went back to this hotel we were staying at, and and Castor showed up uh, with some people, and and there's a ton of us in this bar in this little trendy L.A. motel that's really an expensive hotel, 
Yeah. And um, like Judah Freelander, you know, the guy from 30 Rock. Yeah, with the big glasses there. and the hat. Yeah. yeah, he was there, you know. <laughs> he wasn't with us. but And so anyway, we're all sitting there hanging out with our L.A. friends. And then I'm like, who's the old who's that i'm saying to casters like who's the old guy with the gray hair and the <laughs> weird suit thinking it's some old alcoholic that he knows it's and like it harry was. dean was, stanton or something yeah it was harry dean stanton i have a harry dean stanton la story too but anyway <laughs> it was basically it was like harry dean stanton with a huge thing of white hair and he's like that's william reed from the jesus and mary chain i'm like are you fucking kidding me? Because they had broken up so that he mm. hadn't been i hadn't seen him in years uh pictures of him and he had been cool looking and then uh, he wasn't so anyway we're sitting there talking i think castor was talking to like andrew and i'm talking to william and and william lives in la and his brother lives in in england so he was just like you know i love my brother but we just we can't get along and we just can't do the band but i'm making a record with john and i want to do which became the the record they ended up doing but and i'm like you gotta bear it <laughs> i'm like you gotta bear the hatchet man you guys you gotta reach out you know <laughs> drunk and then he's like and then he's like uh then they call last call and uh and he's i'm like do you want to do you want a drink or something gonna go to the bar he's like yeah can i get uh three triple vodkas which is nine drinks Mm. and i'm like which probably would have been what i would drink uh in 2019 and 2018 but anyway he uh yeah they didn't serve hard liquor so i had to get him like a whole pile of beer um but um but anyway then like two years later up on youtube is Jesus and Mary Chain playing, mm-hmm. William Reed, and they're in the background with towels running back and forth to John Kastner because he was teching the he teched the show uh, for them. So there's him with his dreadlocks all like running around with towels, <laughs> and the Mary Chain coming on in the sunlight. But but I was just so psyched. I was like psyched because this is a band that I knew in 1985 when I was in Northern Ireland visiting mm. my grandparents because mm. I'm from there. Yeah, and that record was huge, and they were huge, and the Cure was huge, and the whole, so that was. Even though I was into punk and hardcore in high school, in 85, being there, I was way more interested in what was going on in, in the UK. But I lived in, I didn't even live in Halifax. I, was, I lived an hour outside of Halifax. I lived in, mm-hmm. trailer, I lived in Trailer Park Boys. That's, where, that's what it's based on. Is this, right? is this Sackville? Sackville, middle yeah. Sackville, not even okay. lower Sackville. Mm. <laughs> and Beaverbank is, is where they shot. I believe where they shot Trailer Park Boys, which right. is which is right where we I lived, like between my, like one of my close friends lived on the other side. Of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Very close. So wow. those are the people that I grew up with. So they weren't into the Jesus and Mary Chain, <laughs> and so <laughs> I did meet some kindred spirits, and that was the Halifax punk scene. Eventually, was hmm. just the same people as me. Is like we grew up in the, surrounded by as everybody in the world, like surrounded by gas pump guys or whatever, and like. Uh, and then to be in LA shooting a video and sitting next to William Reed years later and then and talking about that and then and you know knowing people who know that whatever anyway it sounds like you planted the scene of a seed of reunion that's a reunion, what I'm getting to yeah that's what I'm getting at sorry i don't mean to blow the end of the story there well and they're doing the anniversary tour thing as well with dark lands aren't they i think that they were they scheduled were, to do some dark yeah, stuff here in europe I, and uh, the pandemic cut that one off they um I think they've even moved all their dates now to 22. That's yeah. right. So not even like later this year. Because I know some other bands are playing in the UK and stuff coming up, I believe. But I'm still clutching my ticket. Well, I think Dandy Warhols are doing shows as well, I think. Uh, well, the My Bloody Valentine fans of the world, you know, tip their hat. And I'm sure if, if they're listening, they're, they're passing along their thanks. The, the <laughs> marriage chain. Yeah, for yeah. making that uh, 
Sorry, Jesus and Mary Chain. Did I say Bloody Mary? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm bouncing all over the, the place in my head here. We'll edit in the right word later. <laughs> I, pro- I probably have. I probably have a My Bloody Valentine story too. The okay. songs Rag Ragdoll and um, yeah, Ragdoll and Laying Blame. Mm. Uh, we recorded in in London and over right. two two days, and we did it with Angelie Dutt, who mm. she had engineered. Uh, was one of the engineers on Loveless, but she's like all the engineers on Loveless. She didn't do anything, and she's just <laughs> like. You know, I I sat in a room, in the control room. There was curtains. I couldn't see what was going on. There was no sound coming out of the speakers because I wasn't allowed to hear anything. And they'd put mattresses around the whole room. And it was Kevin and Belinda. And she's singing. And it's just 22 tracks or 23 tracks of her vocal, one part, mm-hmm. over and over again. And it's in a loop. And then all he did was rattle the curtain. And then she would move the the vocal track over to the next track and then she would do the whole song and then it would go over and do the whole and she didn't hear anything and then she'd just read her book and then she'd just go home and then and that's how they did that part of i don't know what they were what song they were recording but that was part of loveless yeah um but we didn't do that uh we let her hear it and um we uh we did the other thing when we recorded that song those two songs which to me I kind of thought that was a direction that the next Sloan record was going to go in. Sure. sure. Those songs, yeah. which yeah. would have been my choice uh, at the time. I've said that that was what, because I, and I was thinking about the other or earlier. Oh, because I wrote the, I wrote the stuff of pedals and stuff. And so I was thinking about the frustration. I think that I, part of the frustration I had with twice removed was that I kind of wanted to, I kind of felt that we had thrown our hat into the shoegaze ring a little bit, but I wanted to be way more than that. And mm. I wanted to be up there trying to, in my mind be a swerve driver and stuff so when we went the other way and went more beatlesy i was like no but wait i did, we can do that next record but okay and so that's kind of what i mean that that would be that was the other thing with fuzzed out was was um part of the thing because forever everybody's been like you should do a solo thing and it's like well i can do electronic stuff over here or remixy stuff or whatever or i can do uh, I could get a heavy metal band together. I don't know what I want to do. And then I realized, well, this, the niche I have is guitar and it's smeared and it's that type of stuff. Or it's like, mm. or it's like ragdoll or, or unkind. It's the, like I, I'm now deciding that I, the thing that I want to be known for is, is the low drone. So mm. like, if you think of Billy Duffy being like, she sells sanctuary or whatever rain, that's the higher drone. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's up there or, or Angus doing, uh hard as a rock or whatever but like i want to do the low one that's like um unkind is drop d and it's a drony one i just i have a new thing i was working on upstairs that will come out hopefully soon and it's also that type of thing and um and ragdoll and there's another one but anyway um oh like even uh even uh would burn for it be in that category maybe a little Hmm. burn for it is well burn for it's it's yeah, maybe, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, that would be, um, that's what I'm shooting for. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. So I got to write more, get more out, drone stuff. Get out your, your guitar bow. Well, I have a, I, one of the guitars I use is a, um, is a Fernandez, which has a, a pickup in it that's like a, it's like an Ebo. So if mm. it, it's just like an on, like a note, like the beginning of Underwhelmed is an Ebo. It's like, that's mm. an Ebo on a guitar. And so this guitar can do that with the pickup. So I, 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 use that a lot on certain songs or, or on yeah everything after action pack but um 
I I plan on using that more. I actually want to do because I uh, as a, on Patreon I want to do. I don't know how it would work, but like to try to do like a drone night where like I start with nice. something and everybody can join in with their instruments or whatever they want. And it's one note and we'll just see what happens. Like, I think That's that could so be cool. fun. Yeah. Going to cut in here for our listeners. If you're not following Patrick already on Patreon um, and if you don't have a Patreon membership yet, you know, this is a great excuse to do so. So great content going on there. Exclusives, uh, gear talk, uh, behind the scenes videos. Get on it now. Yeah, there'll be a lot more to once we're doing it. Like I'm launching this and even the fuzzed out thing came out and nothing really happened. But what was going to happen? Like I did a few interviews, but, you know, and it's the same thing with Patreon. It's like just start it up and go. And it it is a good way to communicate with people. I find that, you know, things get taken over so quickly and then there's just this glut of people like Twitter. I I, I do like social media a lot, but I find that um, something like this where maybe there's a wall people who really want to talk to you or, or really want to, they will engage. But I do understand because I'm the same way that a lot of people don't want to put their credit card down or they're just not used to, I think mm-hmm. the pandemic helped people get used to using online payments that way a little bit more and also yeah. entertainment that way. But totally. it's new still, I think. Uh, it's not free. So people, oh, it could be, I guess, but people are like, you know, that. But then, as we've probably all done, like, you know, you see people complaining, I can't, why, they're shutting me down on this, or they're shutting, or I can't post this picture. It's like, well, it's not a, it's owned by a company, like, you're just posting all your stuff on somebody else's thing, like, they're making money off of you, and I kind of felt like, well, you know, I can't monetize Instagram like Kim Kardashian or something, so what am I going to do? You know, and now they're talking now with NFTs and stuff. It's like, well, should I just mint every single thing I have and see who's going to buy, buy what someday? But I mean, the, the the thing the the thing I would say for being fifty one and the, the, what I talk about experience is that no, you can't do that. None of this is ever going to work. Like all you have to do is make music and go out and play friggin' shows. That's all you're going to do because mm. there's no get rich quick. Nobody like there's one dead mouse. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in Toronto, like there's not fifty. There's one Drake. There's one whatever. One Rush. I mean, I go on about this all the time. Like you can buy, you can buy a, you know, a Les Paul, or I mean, you can buy an SG and a Marshall, an old Marshall Plexi head, whatever, but you're never going to sound like Angus Young because Angus Young is Angus Young. And yeah, so, like Money City sounds a bit like ACDC, but you know, we're not ACDC. Mm. And it's, it's, uh, it's the same thing. It's like, uh, I really do feel that in me, especially with the advent, like I love the idea of, of band camp a little like a lot more than Spotify. I don't care about Spotify anymore. Like I'm not even really po- po- like I look at the numbers of even Sloan and I'm looking at it, it's like I don't even know if the like what are these numbers? Like right. I'm, I'm looking at What's bands it's like but yeah because like t- the other day I was or today I was looking at um where did I start? I started with somebody and I went down one of those like oh they sound like this. If you like this you like this. And so sure. I go through and all these bands have got like 150,000 people listening to them every month. Mm. I've never heard of any of them mm. and my songs have got like 2000 listens and they've got like maybe 400,000. So how do they have 150,000 listeners and their songs have only been heard? It doesn't make sense to me. So, but, it, but then I realized like, I, I, you know, am I valuing my, it's one thing to value your, your output based on how it sells and, and how much money you might make because people have actually bought it. But in this situation, people aren't even really buying anything. So I don't know how much value I put in how many times people have listened to a song that I think is really good because there's so many factors involved in why they haven't heard it. And at the same time, they're not going to buy the CD because nobody's buying CDs either. So 
you really left to your own devices to promote yourself, I think. I think even now it's even more so you, you have, bands have to start getting into, like I just saw uh, Danny Warhol's on Bandcamp actually, uh, because every Friday they put a live, or every Friday they, put, they record a song and every Tuesday or something they put out a live, or Wednesday they put out a live song and it's on this ongoing playlist that you can pay $10 to be on. Mm-hmm. And then they send you, it's a mailing list, but it's through Bandcamp. But like, to me, that's way more interesting and exciting than, putting a song on Spotify and then finding out how many streams it's had, you know, I don't know. but you know, I say that, but I get stressed about everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it'd be kind of fun to take a minute to hop in the time machine. Cause you know, I, we've heard, we've heard lots of interviews. All, all, you know, there's tons of interviews with you guys on YouTube and whatnot, but I feel like kind of the early story is never really covered. If you don't mind maybe doing some of mm-hmm. that. So maybe we could go, you mentioned earlier, uh ireland and i think at one mm-hmm. am i correct that you were born in belfast i was born outside of belfast yeah okay cool awesome yeah. Ireland, yeah so maybe you could uh hit us with some of that if you don't mind just sort of uh early life and your parents oh, and that I kind see. of stuff growing up uh yeah well i was born in northern ireland uh in 1969 so kind of in at the sort of the beginning of of the troubles or at mm-hmm. least when it got really bad mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> My father played, my father's an engineer, but he played, um, civil engineer, but he played in bands all through from, well, certainly from college, uh, including being in the BBC big band and playing every uh-huh. weekend on, on the, on the, on the TV, on the TV. And, um, and they played rock, they, in, in the UK, they had show bands. So like cover bands and stuff. And, but they were big, big business. And so they, he did, he was playing like six nights a week uh-huh. with a young child and working five days a week pursuing whatever goal it was and so when i was a young kid i had maybe say three or something i'd been to rehearsals and i'd i'd seen them maybe not play maybe but i'd seen them sound check i remember and one thing that struck me was that when i saw them because my father i would normally see just wearing a suit but he was wearing like a black button-up shirt probably like open and like gold chain and whatever they they looked cool in my mind though as a a little kid and he didn't look like he that's what you would wear to go on stage kind of thing so years later i was wearing black shirts uh, often t-shirts but like these days but like black button-up shirts and 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 black pants and that was for that reason so because of that remembering that and then and then and then my so then in 75 or something we moved 74 we moved from Belfast to Canada. And it was because we moved to Halifax because my father in college, they wanted to get out of Northern Ireland because the troubles were violent. And uh, mm. there had been an incident where like they had a, a group of friends that they would meet every Saturday at a pub downtown when they would go shopping and it was bombed. But this was when nobody had, I mean, you might have a phone at home, mm. but, and so this is like 72 or something. And so, they uh the, no they all thought they were all dead that like five group like five families basically all thought that they because they were all late getting mm-hmm. to the pub mm-hmm. and it blew up and so these things are sort of like wow like i you know that if that happened to me that would be like a life-changing event but it wasn't really for for them so well it was in that they decided we should probably get out of northern ireland but another bigger part i've discovered recently my father told me was that part of the reason why they left was a little bit like what we're going through now with pandemic was that everywhere you went was the, were soldiers and the police. So if you wanted to go shopping, every store you went into, you had to be frisked and a wand mm. had to go over you mm. because people were walking in with baby carts full of 
explosives and blowing themselves up. So it was just super restrictive and they didn't know if it was going to change. And then he had been to Canada and the States in college. Um, and we had, we have relatives in both the States and Canada. So he decided he wanted to go to North America and, uh, uh, and I, I think he picked Canada kind of randomly because he didn't really like the States maybe as much. And, but I don't think Halifax was any, I think Halifax was just because he got a, you have to, he couldn't just show up. He had to have a job. So hmm. he got a job in Halifax. And so that's where we ended up, which I did not, I never wanted to live there. I never wanted to live in Canada. Nobody ever asked me. And, and the only time it ever really came up about me being Canadian was when I was in Sloan. And at that point I was like, like I'm not with these guys, right? <laughs> um, but I was. So suddenly I was in a Canadian icon Sloan. It's like, well, I don't really want to be. Can we not be called just icons? Like, because kind of. But I mean, I grew up in. But I, I grew up in Canada, kind of. But like, I, we moved to to Canada to Halifax. But then we almost immediately moved to Jamaica. So I lived in Jamaica for almost two years. So wow. Um, so and that was a whole huge. If you think of my age, like I, I we moved at. I was five, I guess. And, and by the time we moved to where I grew, I kind of grew up, I was 10. So that whole period, I wasn't living in Halifax. I wasn't living in Canada Mm -hmm. for half of it. And, and we moved around and I didn't really have a good sense of, um, I don't think I knew how to make friends or, or I didn't really understand how to trust people (laughs) as friends. Cause I grew up uh, living in, uh, you know, I left Northern Ireland, left my, my family and stuff. And then, and then we, we, uh, were in Canada where we kind of met people, but then I immediately left and went to Jamaica. But in Jamaica, I did have friends at school, but I lived on a resort because I lived in a condo on a resort. So there were lots of kids, but they were leaving every week. Right. So I got used to that and I got used to, to making friends with people fast as well. So, uh, which kind of helped me later in being able to be public maybe with people and meeting people after shows and stuff like that. So. I guess, although I don't do it that much, but that's more out of laziness. Uh, but, um, but anyway, so by the time I settled in middle Sackville, which is outside of Halifax and started to go to elementary school there, which grade four or something, grade five, that's when I really was living in, in Canada. So, uh, but, but, you know, by the time I was 22, so 12 years later, I was in Sloan and going on the road. So I also, I was a, it's definitely a part of the Halifax music scene and I, you know, it's my hometown and I would stand up for it, but I don't have as many super fond memories of it as mm. I was happy to get out immediately, <laughs> you know, and tour. Like it's a, it gets glamorized a little bit more than it needs to be. Sure. That's fair. Sure. What, so what was, let me get a sense of what was happening musically at the Pentland household growing up. What kind of music oh. was playing in the background? Uh, well, I do remember in northern ireland listening to uh, it would be like blood sweat and tears and that type of like heavy heavy like kind of rock soul stuff like white scottish like average white band and you know that type of like lots of horns but it was always kind of masculine (laughs) and then and then like uh although not i wouldn't say that that's because that was no reflection on my father but i just mean that that was the type of music i remember or carol king um the thing with me, and and this would also influence Sloan too, is that, and probably piss everybody off, is that my parents weren't huge Beatles fans. And mm. when I talked about them when I was young, to me, they were just a band that you listened to when you were like 16 and you discover classic rock, mm. like like the Stones and everybody else. And my sure. parents, because my father, they saw, my father and his friends who were all in bands, 
saw the Stones and the Beatles when they were first starting off in Belfast because those bands always toured. And so years later, when when Sloan opened for the Stones in in Boston, we did two shows. My godfather and my parents, my godfather's wife, they all came to the show and they had seen the Stones when they first started in Belfast. And then here we were playing with them. Uh, but anyway, so they had seen those bands. So in their mind, it was sort of like, like we had like, please, please me or whatever, or like for sale and stuff. My mother had those records, but they were like, it was kind of like Justin Timberlake. It was like, they were like a boy band. Sure. And then they became serious mm. or like Radiohead. Like everybody kind of thinks that Radiohead invented what they do. Well, they didn't, mm. uh, but they just were the most popular. So I, in some ways I felt that there was a little bit of Emperor's New Clothes going on. And then when I joined Sloan, it was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> sorry just with with you know whatever there was a there was a healthy appetite for for i mean it's also they're also a, a band that is so there's just so much that happened so quickly and there's so much to consume and for me right. i be, i kind of felt like well these guys are way ahead of me on this so like i'll just i know all the songs i guess so let's keep going i guess i know how to do major and minor sevens so right. uh <laughs> That was kind of my attitude because I thought, you know, I didn't find it that I do. I do. I do. Love, I love the Beatles like everybody else. And, I, and there are certain songs, earlier songs I like more because I think they're a little bit more punk rock or a little bit more hard rock, a little more mm. attitude or whatever, a little less heroin and a little less pop. But um, but I do think that, uh, uh, you know, that era of music is, is exciting. But I was also into, as I said, something like. Uh, one of the first records I ever got was Spirits Having Flown, the Bee Gees record. And my, my mm. friends had the Saturday Night Fever and their best, their their number, the second best up maybe, or third. Uh, and ABBA Volume Two, Greatest Hits Volume Two was a big record for me. So ABBA was a big thing as well. And then uh, in '83, everything blew up for me. Like '83 was the year that video really went huge, sure. and Canada was getting it. And so every weekend there was uh, video hits. I think it was called or C100 something or other. And uh, and so I got exposed to Bowie. And then that was, and I already kind of knew Bowie anyway, because we had a hard rock, like a classic rock station, Q104, Rock of the mm -hmm. Atlantic. Mm -hmm. That's why Kevin had his Rock of the Merch uh, um, okay. <laughs> radio station, because the Q104 one was Rock of the Atlantic. It's like, but anyway, um, so I was aware of all those bands and be, uh, Bowie and stuff. But then I really died, because also Duran Duran got big, and I liked Duran Duran and uh, Human League, uh, the Dare record was a big record too. So, those records and then Bowie was just a watershed of like, oh my god, there's everything here basically, mm. and so like everything was there. There's you've got acoustic, folky stuff, you've got hard rock, you've got electronic music. I'm talking '83. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm talking up to Let's Dance. Mm. But it, it, he had already covered everything at that point, and so I mean, it was downhill from there, <laughs> but uh, in some ways. But like, and and Bowie, I'm obsessed with Let's Dance. Like, I'm obsessed with that mm. record because it's awesome but also mm. his career and how you know like chris has a different attitude about bowie than i do chris sort of sees bowie as a charlatan who just surrounds himself with like he's really good at surrounding himself with people i agree with that but i do think bowie is talented and even if if that was his only talent it's still I mean, he's a performer like everybody else though if you think about it like his the last until he retired because of his heart problem or whatever mm. his heart he toured all the time. Like he, sure, all, yeah. all those people always toured, but yeah. you just didn't know that they're on tour because they don't put a big thing up all the, you know, but like, uh, and lots of metal bands and stuff too. Like they're always on tour, but they just don't go nuts about it. And so he was definitely a live performer. So that was cool. But I also then got into punk 
and and metal happened at the uh, 85 was metal so it was like punk led to thrash metal which led back to punk you know so your awesome. first your first band am i am i correct in assuming this was prosecutor slash persecutor I and mean, what's what's the correct Pro- it was prosecutor right uh here's how crazy it was because uh, it was pro- it was whatever it's just some kids it was just us playing covers basically but then we ended up getting the drummer was really good and so we ended up get he had a friend uh who we didn't know from school uh he didn't go to our school and called steve forrest i think he had dropped out of school he's kind of like a, a slightly handsome looking guy and he always came with a, like another guy came with him like he had like an assistant but he was just a singer in this little high school band and he came up with the name prosecutor but i was like i don't I think you mean persecutor. No, it's prosecutor. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then, but then, then the drummer left and the singer stayed somehow. And I guess I was in control of things, but got this other guy to play drums. And then he insisted he wanted to call the chains of band from prosecutor to forest. Like it was going to be his last name. <laughs> and all we were doing is iron maiden covers. I was just like, what are you doing? Anyway. So that, yeah. Prosecutor. And did that, did that, railroad right into ripping convulsions was that sort of the no next? yeah well that would have been the next thing that i did but that was 80 i think uh prosecutor was like 84 maybe 85 right. and then i think so by 87 we were doing convulsions and, and yeah because so, i had just left high school i was okay. and the other the other guys were all in high sorry i got a moth the other guys were still in high school cliff gibb and uh john johnson and scott hiltz were, were and i just somebody just sent cliff just sent me pictures of convulsions from a gig we played at the first gig we ever played at some sort of well-to-do girl's house and outside of Halifax she had like a pool and stuff and we played a party there and we for all the punk rock pictures of us later we just looked like some skater dudes from like a John Hughes movie or something like I it was, it was like we were not very punk. I even had like the Ray-Bans and stuff anyway i'll send you guys the picture i'll put it please up i was just gonna say that uh, fantastic i was gonna post it and then but the, part of the problem is anytime i post anything from the past that's like like i posted uh losing california lyrics because i found them and i just posted hey check it out and then chris sent me this long like i, w- I would appreciate it if you don't release things from the past so that i can collect them to put them on blah 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 and i was just like these are my li-. also who the hell's gonna remember this Anyway. So then I was reluctant to because he because we just recently unearthed my friend Sean Smith, uh, who was the trail the guy who lived on the other side of Trailer Park Boys. He uh, recorded convulsions uh, several mm-hmm. times because mm-hmm. he worked at uh, he worked at St. Mary's at a radio. St. Mary's had a radio station, even though Dalhousie's the one that's famous for it. In health. anyway, he had a four track, so we recorded convulsions demos, and then I forgot all about it. And then about twenty five years later. Um, Sean found them on a tape and sent them to me. And then I sent them to Cliff and I said, can you mix these? Cause I don't know what to do with these. And he did. And so I have about four or five convulsion songs. And then I sent one or two to Chris and Chris is like, we have to do a split seven inch. We'll do convulsions on one side. We'll do spent or a white out or a wear, whatever he wants yeah, to do yeah. on the other side. I probably spent. And, um, <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe, uh, but then, okay, so maybe we'll do that. And then I sent him one picture of the, I was, I said to Cliff, I, I'm going to, can I post these or do you want to post them? He's like, you go for it. And so I was like, okay. I said, Chris is going to have a, he's going to have a fit. He's going to love it. But then when I sent it to him, as soon as I sent it, I was like, oh yeah, you know what? He's not going to love it. He's going to, and then I get back like right away. Tick, tick, tick. Uh, cool. We can use that as a gatefold um, on the split seven inch. 
And I'm like, so I'm not, I'm not even going to bother posting this because I'm just going to get a whole like, why did you post that? When, well, he's probably not listening. So you can send us the photos his, and we'll post them. He's not even involved in that band at all. Um, <laughs> well, we are, we are on a deluxe boys kick right now. So I feel as though it's oh, only okay. appropriate to give <laughs> ripping convulsions some love as well. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah. Cause didn't, uh, yeah. Jay posted that thing. He, he, um, Cause he, yeah, cause he, he, uh, he was talking about that the day that I got those pictures. And so I was going to post the pictures and say, oh yeah, we'll check this out. Except that I realized <laughs> maybe I shouldn't take his, his, uh, whatever. His thunder. His, well, maybe you can thunder. help me out with this. Cause I've, I've yeah. always heard rippy convulsions and convulsions. Is it a thing of where the, the band is referred to in short yeah. term? Like the way you say stones, it's yeah, convulsions. Was it always ripping convulsions? Yeah, because, but it's taken off of, uh, the Voivod song, ripping headaches, headache. Oh, okay. I think, uh, which I don't really know. Cliff knew more, but I remember seeing the video thinking, and I think maybe Cliff came up with the name, but it was like ripping convulsions is like, that's the craziest convulsions you could ever have are the ones that rip you apart. But then it just became convulsions. It's such uh, a great name. And, and, and I, I like think it. like yeah. the, 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 the names that you have for bands, like ripping convulsions fuzzed out. They're so sort of visceral, but they're also very like, you, you hear the name and you know exactly what it's going to sound like. You know what right. I mean? like, <laughs> well, that's a, the fuzzed out thing was lucky because I had other names for it and nobody was biting. Hmm. And um, anyway, uh, I did have other names, but yeah, no, but then I, people will be like, what's it going to sound like? Oh, well, yeah, I'll just, it'll just be like my fuzzed out stuff. Like the stuff I do that's all fuzzed out. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Why don't I just call it that? And then, and of course then it, I didn't bother to say to Dean like, hey, what do you think of? I was just like, oh, it's called this. And then he was like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so convulsions, and then the next one, uh, the next band. No, then in between convulsions and Happy Co, there was a band called Toxic Waste, which was Cliff and me, but John Johnson singing. Uh, but John Johnson was the singer for Convulsions, and his voice is very on in that band. His voice is like Daffy Duck, like it was like screechingly high. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can you not just sing like a regular hardcore singer? Like, can, like why are you doing? And then he didn't want to do that. <clears throat> but then a few years later, uh, he was in a band with Cliff's brother called Donner Party Reunion, where he did sing like a regular guy, a regular hardcore singer. And I was like, why the, like, we could have been huge. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I don't remember why I brought that up. But uh, am, I, am I right to assume that the Toxic Waste logo was oh, like toxic green, green and bubbling and looked it, it, There was nothing. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would have been cliched, so it wouldn't have been. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no. Um, no, what happened was, so we did this thing where it was just one recording, but like, it was this long, we were kind of listening to Skinny Puppy and, and getting into like bands that we were also really into, cause we couldn't afford synthesizers and stuff. We didn't know, mm. uh, my father had something that I used, but, um, so we were trying to make these sounds with guitars and, and echoes and stuff and literally f- recording into like a four track and then putting it through my parents' stereo and then try to rope that back in to make weird sounds. And so we did this thing where Cliff played a beat. And then we wanted to double track the drums and, but he kept falling out of time with it. So it eventually spun so that he, he was in time, completely out of time, then backwards and then back in time again. And so I kind of did something with that. And then, and then, but my point with John, John Johnson was that he, Jonathan uh, Johnson, he then became like the singer for skinny puppy all of a sudden, like he went from like high Daffy duck to like this low, sort of weird grub and the and the lyric it was only called toxic waste because he was like you gotta leave me alone down in my family room you gotta leave me alone for like an hour to write these lyrics and so we cliff and i went off to do something we came back 
And all he did was look through National Geographic and write down words. And one of them was toxic waste. He just kept saying toxic waste over and over again. So we just called it toxic waste. And I really liked it. I wanted to do more. And I thought we could do some art college type thing or something. But but then we just, then Cliff and I entered a contest, a songwriting contest, a CBC one, and that he'd heard of. And and we wanted to just, at that point, by that by this point, I'd gotten out of, I wasn't listening to hardcore so much. And I was listening to, I had been listening to again to Cure and stuff, but I was listening and and the Cult a little bit, mm-hmm. but like it was um, uh, Dinosaur and sure. Sonic Youth, those mm-hmm. Day- Daydream Nation and Bug, or You're Living All Over Me, I guess those were the records. And I didn't, I never bought any records because I didn't have any money, so it was always Cliff would buy everything. So he always had these records, and then I would either borrow them and tape them, or I would. So I have a lot of collections of records where, like, I thought that the Violent Femmes and The Cure were the same band at one point because a friend of mine just gave me a tape that said The Cure on one side, but Violent Femmes were on the other. And I, I somehow figured they were the same band, even though they were not. And uh, so I used to get all these records from Cliff. But, but so those records, yeah, Daydream Nation was a big record for us, I think. And, um, and so Sonic Youth, or sorry, Sonic, Happy Co. became a Sonic Youth dinosaur type thing. And I mm. was, uh, uh, those songs, and there are some recordings of that too, because there was like a, there was like a feature on us at CKDU one time, and I I remember I had it on tape, and uh, I was all thrilled that like they were playing our songs on the on the radio at on college radio, which was yeah. a legit college radio station. Sure. And then, but then Cliff went to school uh, outside of Halifax, and I was I decided I'm going to cut my hair and be a regular guy. I'm going to buy a regular snow like a regular parka, and I'm just going to. I'm just going to conform. And because I was fighting with my father all the time, you know, you're paying for university. I'm going to school with ridiculous looking clothes and hair, which wasn't that ridiculous. But, and then, um, and I was like, I got, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of university. Cause I, I sort of, it was a three year pro it was a four year program that I'd started with, but then I dropped out, but then I, it was a three year program that I got back into, but it took me four years anyway, because, uh, so I had to get out. So I was like, I'm going to just, be a regular guy. And so, so happy co broke up and then Cliff went to uh, school outside of Halifax. And then I was in university finishing up and I met, uh, I knew Chris and Jay anyway. And then Chris, I was working someplace. He was asked me if I wanted to come and hang out and jam with him and Jay and this other guy at this other guy's house. Hmm. And it's just up the street. And what are you doing? Well, it's just kind of like whatever Sonic Youth dies for junior, <laughs> and so that's what. And then that was slow. So that's the history from Northern Ireland all the way up. Wow! Cool. Holy smokes! Is it is it safe to assume that a song like Amped is coming from this Happy Co era, or did that? Um, that was yeah. All that stuff is what would have been happening. Yeah, yeah, right. definitely that song. That type of because there's like a certain. Uh, there's certain faint chord fingerings that I'm doing. They're a yeah. bit more dinosaur than they are. They're not just power chord, although I do a lot of power. But they were, had a little bit more voicings to them that sure. are a little bit more Jay Maskins. And I mean, again, also also a band that's still going strong. Speaking of GMC. I, yeah. I just uh, I just saw uh, at the Fender have this new acoustic offset acoustic thing. It's like a, a Jaguar acoustic. Yeah. And and he did a little. He, there's an ad of him doing a little video of him doing freak scene uh on that thing with like distortion okay. and stuff and it, it's cool but i just watched that yeah he's all those people again it's the same it's the age thing and then people know that they're around and like i mean you know he looks like crap <laughs> but <laughs> but he's uh, but he's a hero a guitar hero you know he's also yeah. not yeah. a great guitar player but like i i love his guitar and like all these people like his 
his it's his chords and his voicings and stuff that I like more than his lead playing, which is is fine. But like it's the same with Van Halen. Like I, I like Van Halen's rhythm playing is amazing and mm. it never gets noticed. Mm. I don't talk to people about Van Halen and the Grammys. But <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, we, we've we've gone into this when speaking about Andrew's guitar style as well as that blurring line between rhythm and lead, and he plays lead also sometimes like he would play rhythm and vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's I never same. thought about that. Yeah, he he well he picks a lot, and and there's a lot of parts that he naturally comes up with, mm-hmm. and then I have to learn them. Right, <laughs> and I don't know how to play any of his songs, and I just fake it. And right. um, but often I don't need to know because he doesn't have the no he doesn't have he doesn't always remember let's say that there are two guitar players in the band so often his songs are just one guitar sure but there's two guitar players so it's like well what am i supposed to do and sometimes i I make up something and sometimes i try to play what he plays or double what he does yeah um uh but a lot of times he's showing me he does not show like he just sort of like like the put the last record i had to like uh how did I do it? I put it into some, uh, Ableton Live or something. I slowed it down so I could try to pick the part. The sure. Part because I couldn't. He, I couldn't understand. It. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, he, there is a lot of that going on for sure with him. Yeah. We so maybe to take a step back here, you honing your guitar skills, your your guitar style in Happy Co. You land in Sloan as the bassist. We all know that this didn't last for very long, but you know. When did when was the decision made that you're going to make the switch with Chris, and why was that decision made? Uh, well, the the weirder thing was that Chris wasn't a guitar player in anything. I don't think like he was. He had been the drummer in Cranny Lake Road, and he played bass in Blackpool. So hmm. I think he just wanted to play guitar. Uh, but he was a, the the songwriter, really. So he had written all these songs, and the, the demo he gave me was I don't even know how. At that point, I don't even know how many times Jay had played with those guys. It, it, when I played with him, he may have only played with them maybe one other time. Mm-hmm. Not sure. But um, but but Andrew and Chris had played a few times, and it was Chris playing guitar and Andrew playing drums. So when I came in, they wanted a bass player. And um, and so I Cliff let me a Yamaha bass and a PV bass amp. <laughs> and I went to Andrew's house. I didn't know Andrew. And uh, I still don't know Andrew. <laughs> but uh uh no i do but um and is this the uh, base we see in the sort of basement footage of you guys yeah, like playing uh, and stuff? it's like a no, black base yeah there's a black base yeah the, okay. the the one that's at um the one the video the 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 first show the nascad show i'm playing right. a black yeah right. base. that's that mm-hmm. one yeah. uh and then there's another one where i'm playing a red base and that's chris's it's a short scale uh, i don't know what it was but um um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I, I showed up to play and I knew the songs, they, you know, it was underwhelmed was like the song really. And then, um, and then I probably like the second time I played with them or something, I, sh- I showed them something on guitar, which might've been, f- well, no, it wasn't 500 up. Cause that was, that was Andrews. Uh, maybe it was sugar too. I don't know what it was, but anyway, um, I played something on guitar and then I did a little lead or something and then they were laughing about it. And then it was like, well, and they already, he was sort of like, well, like you're already, what, you should play guitar on this song and I'll play bass on this. And I was like, okay. And then we switched. And then we played a couple of shows where we switched. Uh, but I think it was only for one or two songs. And then, and then, uh, and then it just became obvious that I was going to be playing guitar. I, then, I think then when we recorded, I was playing guitar and bass because I, I play bass on a lot of the songs, not a lot, but a few of the songs on 
the EP and uh, and Smeared. So, hmm. uh, but I probably pl- like I play a lot of guitar on Smeared. So there's it just made sense I was going to be the guitar player. And then, but then when we did the that uh, s- the seven inch single a few years later, I played bass on that too, and I played la- live as well. I played bass. I don't know how many times we did it, but we did. I remember doing it at the uh, at the Cool House, and, and I played bass. I remember playing bass. Is it safe in assuming that that five hundred up sort of breakdown funk thing is your fingerprint? I would not say that it's a funk thing <laughs> in any way, but it is a bit. I guess. Yeah, that's my thing. That's my thing. Yeah, and then we didn't do that song for years because Chris didn't want to play that bass part. Really? Okay. <laughs> and then I was like, I'll play it. I'll play on the guitar. I've got a pedal that can make it sound like a bass. But he, we do it now. But yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, if you think about, we made a vi- here's how fucked up that song is. So it's Andrew. It, the song is literally just two chords back and forth, right? It's yeah. Andrew's song. It's just meandering, whatever. But you realize it's just A and D. And then, and then I wrote the words, which are pretty cliched, except that I wrote the verse. I wrote the first verse. But then there's a thing about 500 up that doesn't make any sense. And then there's a whole other thing about sliding downward, she's the whatever. And that's like, that's Chris's. It kind of has something to do with what I wrote. Hmm. Anyway, so there's that. Then there's the weird sort of that, like the the arrangement's weird. Like after, there isn't a chorus, right? Oh, there is kind of a chorus, but it's like, it feels good to do it. The chorus is the second verse, right? Right. So, right. so like... And then there's this weird twinkly thing that I do. There's this this bendy thing. I don't know what that like. It's kind of like just a little interlude, and then it goes back into the song. And then there's the bass breakdown, which is weird. And there's no real guitar solo. And then it kicks back in. And then we go to New York, and we make a video for it. And it's like, (laughs) here's a hundred thousand or whatever. Here's ten thousand or twenty or a hundred thousand dollars. Go with these guys to Brooklyn or someplace. But first, you got to, what are we, what are we going to do? I don't know. Okay, let's go buy some stuff. Well, then it was like, we want to do a video with a frog in a car. Right. Which was probably Andrew's idea. And so we are searching around for a frog and a car. And we go into Toys R Us in Times Square and we found a Barbie car that was not remote control, but we wanted a remote control car. And then, and we were like, we're never going to, like, literally, this is the conversation we're having, like a serious conversation in Times Square. We're never going to find a frog. Like, we're not going to get, when are we going to get, like, and then are we keeping it in the hotel? Like, what are we doing with the, like, we're having a conversation about the frog. The band. Sounds like a Disney movie or something, a frog in Times Square. Yeah, I know exactly. And then, um, (laughs) and then we go and shoot this thing and it's like, uh, we just, we, I, you know, again, when you shoot videos, like the shooting part is the least that you do. And so I feel like we shot most of it in about an hour and a half or mm-hmm. two hours, two different locations, I think. And then, and then, uh, and then, and we just sort of worked in this Barbie, uh, and the, 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 like the, the, the coolest thing is the, the little ghetto blaster. Yeah that we're supposedly sitting with it, but it's like this big. And it's, so it's like it's really like forced perspective. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it said, let's play wah, wah. And so like quack, quack. And so they were constantly pushing this button. And then that became on that tour. That became one of the sayings that people would just sort of say when everything got really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, that's those things. Cause we didn't know each other when we started, like Chris and Jay knew each other. Mm. And Chris and Dave always been, had a close relationship, but a contentious, like they're always kind of fighting and always kind of best friends. And it got really bad when we toured for Smeared, but hmm. now they're like 
you know, they get along really well, but, um, but we didn't know each other. I didn't know Andrew. They didn't know me. And by the time we were touring for Smeared in the States, which at that point we'd been a band for a little while, but that was a real trial by, trial by fire that we all went through was 10 weeks on the road in, in America where the glamour kind of wore off pretty quickly. Cause we'd sure. been going to Europe. We'd done a few things in Europe where we were on buses and we were like tour, you know, people with us and stuff. And we were not used to that. And then suddenly we were on a bus. We brought Matt Murphy to sell merch just so Chris just wanted to have a friend, I guess. We had the room. and um, But it was one of those tours where, like, relationships ended, a new one started. And, then, like, I, you know, there was a lot of – if you listen to Twice Removed, then you know what happened when we toured Spears. Sure. <laughs> Amazing. That's That's a wild thing, too, that you don't really catch, obviously, just as a casual fan, is just the relationship going on with you guys. Like, you meet these guys, and within a year or so – you know, you're like on much music with them. It's like, you're the new big band yeah. and off you go, you're on tour and here's this big but opportunity th- that when the relationships haven't even really been fully formed yet. But you've met Chris Murphy, mm. right? Like he's a weird guy in a way. He's a super, <laughs> super nice, like not a weird, I don't mean an, like he's just like a, he's a very gregarious guy. He's a very friendly guy. He's very, but like, they're also not normal people. So it's some things that you would think would be a normal thing that you would do, like is like follow up one record that a major label debut with a record that sounds like the other, you know what I mean? Like those are normal things people would do. And we didn't do that in part because of Chris and because of Jay and that, and those people and that, 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 and it worked out, it worked out great. And had I done it the way I wanted to do it, I don't know if it would have worked out. So, you know, I do truly feel that I, that, that I was in a band. I am in a band with like, artists as opposed to people who are interested in stardom or or even money really i mean we're all interested in money but like we have been doing this for a long time you could argue that i've been doing it for a long time because for about 25 years i couldn't do anything else but but in reality we've been doing it this long because like we don't i mean you can ask people who know us like or are close to us we don't make a lot of money but we make we're we're screwed because we make enough to keep going but we don't make enough to stop or enough to, to really boast about it. Right. So we make a living and it's fine. And, and, um, but, and, and of course the part of the whole thing was our publishing was going to be our retirement, like chip, our manager at the time and still kind of our manager had built it up. Like you, you got to own your publishing and we're going to own the records and this is going to pay off later. Cause nothing like streaming is ever going to come along. So, <laughs> you know, and so, but that did come along. Like, first of all, it was, Napster and file sharing, and all of a sure. sudden it was like, "Wait, yeah. what's going on?" Like we were selling, like you know, it used to be we put a record out and we'd sell like thirty thousand records or something within the first two months, and it would usually slow down. But like the thirty, and we were making about I don't know five bucks a record or something. I'm not sure, but like uh, because of the deals that we had, and then all of a sudden it all went away for us. It hit us harder than it hit a lot of other bands in, in ways because a lot of bands were on labels, so it was the labels that were taking the hit and not the yeah. bands. Yeah, sure. But yeah. we felt it right away, and so we immediately started really investing in in our live show and performing. And not, I think there were bands. I, mean, I can always name bands, and I don't. I'm not criticizing them at all. But like, I remember just being frustrated. We're with like the tea party, like their band from Canada who were like a Zeppelin said, whatever. Anyway. So I didn't, I wasn't big. I mean, the thing is you can't criticize them for being Sloan. Can't criticize a tea party for sounding like Led Zeppelin. Like, you know what I mean? So, but anyway, they are whatever. They're probably nice guys. And so, but my point with that was that they were on a label and we were on a label, but they were 
we were basically on Universal, and I don't, I think maybe they were too, but they, I was complaining because it's like, well, how, why do they have a, a platinum record and we don't? Like, we're as popular as they are, and we have a really good relationship with the label too. And they, and Chip's point, which was true, is that they've sold 100,000 records and they've probably made no money, whereas mm. you've sold 30,000 records and you've made a ton of money. So, like, don't, and that, that was a good lesson to me about what I'm saying about art, artistry versus like, we would have quit a long time ago if it was about money, because it's not that much money. Yeah. As I'm saying, people like, you know, know this, but, but we knew that had we been interested in platinum records and the way that we looked to the public, then that would have been a hard thing to take. But, it, but it wasn't because we always felt we're just our own little industry over here. We're just our own little, thing and i talked to i was i saw mike the other day mike nelson's working on a friend's house and uh i, I don't know if you, anyway he's working over there and um and uh he was talking about i was just we were talking about this tour that we might do in the fall with these bands these 90s bands and he'd been in touch with their management and stuff and I'm not sure if that's happening or not but anyway he i was like you know next year though when things start to open up like we have such a good, hopefully such a good rapport with promoters and we are really one-stop shopping. Like you just, you, we own everything. We own our publishing. We own our records. If you want to put one of our songs on a, on a commercial or a movie, all you do is call Mike Nelson and mm. he, it will be done within three hours. Mm. Whereas, whereas if you're dealing with, because we, I know this because we dealt with Lenny Kravitz was supposed to do something and he, and it became this huge big thing. And then the publisher, they knew of us or whatever they came and they just talked to us for like one minute. And it was like, it was all, it might've been the Money City uh, Best Buy commercial or whatever we were on, whatever we used. It was something like that. We got that second. Somebody else was supposed to have it. And the, the, um, and the, I think, and then, oh no, no, I'm wrong about that. But it was a different one anyway. That one's an interesting story. But anyway, whatever, we got something, a song on a a movie or something. And it was because we owned the publishing and we could do it really fast. And Lenny Kravitz, like, he didn't own the publishing, but somebody else did. But then they wanted, okay, but he didn't want that done. He wanted different or whatever. And it just went on. It was like, who cares? Just do you want $150,000 or $200,000 or do you not? Like, just give them the song. But it was just so complicated. And we owned it all. So it's just like, here you go. And um, so anyway, that was supposed to be our retirement plan. And then now, as I said, NFTs might be our retirement plan. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Bitcoin somewhere is in there somewhere. I think Chip <laughs> mentioned Bitcoin back in '92. Um, <laughs> you have a skinny yeah. on Bitcoin. Well, my other complaint too is like because we split the publishing, and for years I hadn't. If anybody got screwed from publishing being split to me, but kind of, it started with Chris. Like Chris got the. It was Chris's publishing deal initially because it was his songs. So like he's the one who said, and probably in conjunction with Chip and maybe Jay, it was like, no, we need to split everything and we'll split the publishing mm-hmm. on all my songs and your songs because that way everybody's invested in the whole thing that they always say. Everybody's invested. It means if when money comes in, we get to split the money, but when money is owed, we also owe the money. But, um, but then years later, um, when that had already sort of evened out where everybody was getting songs on records anyway we were still splitting everything and then we had a couple of songs that have continued to make lots of money for us and i don't get i wrote them and some people don't want to play them live (laughs) and they still make money off them and i get a quarter of it i actually get an eighth of it because we split it a certain way but anyway it's all fair but like i it's not you know what i mean like i don't think i would do that again (laughs) 
<laughs> sure. Or well, whatever. Is- I remember, I remember, sorry, just to say about that though, I do remember that, and this is, there is like Thresherman, I think they did a thing where they did it properly where like the writer got a specific, a different amount and then the band split the rest of it. And that probably okay. would have been a better thing, but we didn't know about that back then. It doesn't matter. I don't. Yeah, I think I mean, well, the, the method one way or the other has been integral to sort of, I mean, it's it's been integral to the fan experience as well because you, you're forced to put out new content frequently and you're forced to tour frequently. It's it's keeping us afloat as well in that regard. You mean in terms of like the way the music business is? Yeah, I mean, just, just, just in terms of the fact that you're in this niche between like, you know, it's not like you're set for life and you're able to rest on what you've done in the 90s. You're having to reinvent yourself every couple of years and having to be on the cutting edge because you're dealing yeah. with, with this in such a hands-on way. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess the, I was always saying like, <clears throat> had we had smeared been a huge hit in the states for instance like we had done a photo shoot for rolling stone like to be like the hot new band or whatever mm-hmm. and then somebody died or something and it all got pushed and we didn't end up getting it the, our our story and many band stories are littered with things like that almost mm-hmm. happened like we had the program director one of the head program directors from mtv traveling with us on tour with us and she was like i, I like hanging out partying with us for several days with fountains away and she's like i would love to play your videos and i can't they like there's just the way it worked with labels mm-hmm. and stuff and because we weren't a canadian we were a canadian band not signed to an american label and the amount of money that goes to damn tv from labels what she was like i can't really play you guys for 120 minutes but i'd love to play you guys and they got us on as many things as they could at MTV. but anyway um the the, the i mean i like being a niche i like where we are because uh, you're right, like we, I feel like we could go out on the road at any time and mm. play a tour and people will come and see us. Um, I don't think we're reinventing ourselves in terms of like trying to keep up with what's going on. When we did, I feel like Action Packed was a record, for, certainly for me, where it was like, that's, I don't care about being on the radio anymore. Fuck, like I don't care. Like I did, I was obsessed with it for several years, mm-hmm. and then and then we did never hear the end of it, and it was just I knew when before we did that record, we toured in Europe for um, the not for it, but the best of that singles record came out. So we went to Europe, sure. we did some stuff, soundtrack of our lives and stuff. And we were doing mm-hmm. Who Taught You to Live Like That live, and but no piano, it was just guitars, and it was me playing that song um, uh, on guitar with Jay just singing, and I was doing it with a drop D, but it was like cleaner. Mm-hmm. And then when we went to do when we went to do uh to record it he wasn't gonna put any guitar on it and we put guitar on it and then the thing i'd been doing live and i always sort of my joke is that i feel like that made that song cooler was to have guitar on it if it was just piano might not have been a single anyway point being that uh that became a a song that got a lot of attention in the states for us Mm. uh and bird for it or not bird for uh believe in me as well got got good notices as well and 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 so even when we sort of Put, like his action pack there was a lot of ducks in a row for that record and all the ducks got shot right before the record came out <laughs> like it was unbelievable we couldn't believe it and so it was just like and then we did this jet tour which just kind of fell into our lap as usual because i went to a bar and <laughs> we did we same with Foo fighters same like it was just me hanging out drinking with people uh, well the jet thing was a little different but but um i mean that's <laughs> that's the thing about drinking is like it certainly came in handy <laughs> as well as stopping me from doing things. It also helped me do many, many things that, you know, that we could have done. Yeah, no, you're right. And, 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 but also with, uh, say band camp, let's just say like, it's so, mm. uh, even all the way back to 
to MySpace, like just the idea of being able to, like I remember MySpace and putting songs up, Sloan putting songs up, but also me putting songs up. And like, I was just like, wow, anybody can hear what I'm doing. Like this is, I didn't really know, unless you had a college radio station or uh, show and you could put your demo on, nobody can hear you. And all of a sudden the world can hear you. That's really when everything, that's when people started to wonder, why am I not, why do I have to pay for music? You know, like, you know, so because it was just, it was just so immediate. So it's, it's a give and take. And then when you add massive corruption into the whole thing, then, you know, um, as usual, it's the, it's the creator that gets the shaft. And to kind of touch on the whole, I mean, I remember there's an interview from 98, I think it is, it's on YouTube and it's you guys on YouTube. It's you guys on YTV, I think. And uh, the host is referring to you as Hitmaker Pentland. And I don't know if this was an official nickname or something that they were maybe joking about that day or something. Do you know who the person was? Uh, She was a host of the YTV hit list. You guys were at Rotate This, and you're talking about your favorite albums and stuff, and I don't remember the name. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, it's when the chart magazine, the four covers, came out in 98. Oh, um, okay. Oh, 98. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. So I, but so by that point, yeah, you'd had, I mean, sort of the lion's share of the bigger hits in that, right. that period. And you mentioned earlier that sort of frustrating feeling of going from smeared to twice removed and sort of wanting to go in one direction and kind of feeling maybe pulled into another. Um, and right. it made, it kind of made me think of, uh, there was a story maybe that I heard recently at some point where um, perhaps when Chris and Jay were wanting to do one chord in a certain kind of way, you bring in good and everyone, which has got this like screaming solo and it's like punkier and it's mm-hmm. just sort of like raw. And I, and, and you kind of had to put your foot down and say like, no, this is the way I want mm-hmm. it to, to sound, you know, like I want to go in this direction. And, you know, we've even talked on the show about like, I mean, my God, had that song not existed, you know, like that, I feel like that was kind of the cannon shot, if you will, like the ACDC cannon or something that sort of kicked <laughs> off the second wave of the band kind of come I, back. Yeah, I think, but I would say that that I, I, that song was is it's attributed to me, and it is mostly my song. But it's a group effort too. It's certainly mm. between Chris and myself and Andrew. Even though Andrew's contrib- contribution is a little bit haphazard, but as it was for the record, but just a great s- spirit to it. And uh, I was recently complaining because I heard that Mick Jagger. Dave Grohl playing drums on this Mick Jagger song or whatever. And it's, oh. it's the big, it's like, and it's like, how the hell do you not know that that's our song? Like, yeah. and so, uh, but that was Andrew. I think Andrew came up with that. I don't think Chris did. I think and he certainly, he messed up the end and that's all, well, you know, cause you played this song a bunch of, a bunch of times on tour with us, but like, um, yeah, that I think what happened was after uh, I was frustrated with twice removed, to be honest with you, especially yeah. because when I, because I felt that um, when we were mastering, we were finishing mixing twice removed when we heard the Weezer record, mm. right? Uh, because that was coming out, and we had played with them in LA one time, I think, and we knew who they were through Todd, who was our A and R guy, and he was their A and R guy. So um, when I heard that record, I was sort of like, "This is what I wanted to make," but I didn't know I wanted to make. This is what we should have done, but of course, I didn't know that, and they didn't know. And so when, when we had such a hard time with twice removed and then within the band, it was just growing pains or whatever. So we ended up splitting up. But when I came back, I was like, um, and I had done some writing and playing with other people actually, but, and I'd, I'd been, I had actually been asked if I wanted to join the Doughboys, mm-hmm. uh, but then I had said no, because we had started to record one chord to another, which I thought we didn't know if that was going to be, uh, 
the beginning of a new phase for the band or not. I kind of yeah. figured it would be, but so I'd said, no, I can't, but I kind of wanted to, but I didn't. Um, and, uh, but I feel that, uh, well, yeah, when I came back, I was just, I had more confidence. I just felt like, you know what? I don't care. First of all, you guys, Chris and Andrew, you screwed everything up by breaking the band up. All we mm. needed to do was take a break, but it turned out that they didn't really. It was, it was, again, it was like something I didn't agree with that ended up creating a, an opportunity but i came back in sort of saying like i'm not going to sit on the sidelines and let them make decisions all the time because i'm a smart person too and i have talent and i have to kind of believe myself but had those songs been had those songs not been noticed because the the other thing that that i deal with all the time and people deal with all the time in the band is that it's not normal for bands to have multiple singers it's normal <laughs> for bands to have one singer it's normal for bands to have one guy and it's Chris. And I like that it's Chris because he's in the middle and everybody looks at him, except when I'm singing my songs live and everybody's looking at him and they're not looking at me and I'm the one singing. <laughs> Pisses me off. But like that's the trade-off is sort of like like labels labels will go for him immediately or, or Jay. And people always do. And that's fine because it's like I do want the attention, but then I don't want the attention. Mm. They take They don't want the attention either, but they take the attention a lot. Like they do a lot of radio and tv stuff that i don't do anymore because for a long time i couldn't like i was just too messed up but but um uh but anyway so i felt that i can be i had a band i had a couple of bands i can contribute to this 500 ups good sugar tunes good ragdolls good uh, amps good like why not loosens is good all these songs are good so when i think that i was just i think we just knew each other a little bit better and i think we just they had a bit more confidence in me and that you put more confidence in me too and then and then when that happened and those songs got big, then it was a whole other thing of like, like, I, I don't, re- I don't remember. I don't feel that people really took me more seriously in the band, but I do feel that maybe blue, certainly Chris and I were like, let's explore, let's go. Pa-, Cause good. And everyone was really an homage to, to the pistols, that era of punk seventies mm-hmm. punk. So I'm not a huge fan of, but I do. Uh, um, so I was like the other thing I was becoming more uh, revisiting again was ACDC and that era of my life probably because I was in my late 20s and uh, and I did come up with that riff the Money City riff which is a very basic simple riff but Hmm. that's not the riff isn't what I mean the riff is cool but it's all it's the production around it and how it's sung and that I, I was learning I had already been writing songs for years at that point and I was really starting to learn why is this ACDC song good and why is it not good? Or, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I started to realize, I mean, the big thing that I would impart to, to people learning to write songs or, or fans of music or rock music is that rock music is a tradition. It's not, it's not an original form of music and it's not supposed to be. So mm. you have, for me personally, I felt a responsibility or just an interest to study it. So I don't know everything. And it's a little bit why I stayed away from Beatles just because that's a whole career in itself is studying that, but there's a lot of other things that have been influenced by that. that you can, anyway, just trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of songwriting. And so I brought all that to those records too. And I think Chris really wanted to explore his kiss side as well. But the problem with exploring kiss is that everybody like it, then you become red cross. Like it's very easy to become a car- a caricature. You know what I mean? And I didn't want Sloan to become an ACDC. I didn't want to become Airborne. You know what I mean? That band. Yeah, like I totally. didn't want to become an ACDC band. I could have. I had the hair before, <laughs> and uh, you know, twice. And then, and then I, uh, 
uh, I cut it both times, but like, I, I just felt like this is a legitimate thing. I was also surrounded by what I would, was calling the alt Gestapo at the time, which was basically just all of our friends on their side, not my friends, but the friends in Toronto and stuff who were just so timid to do anything that might get shot down as like trying or contrived or something. And mm-hmm. I was, I felt that Navy blues was a massive fuck you to all those people. It right. was just, you know, basically Navy blues. I never thought about it, but it was a fuck you to Toronto. Basically. It was mm-hmm. like, not that I loved Halifax at all, but it was just like, it was a fuck you to the music scene at the time. It was just like, uh, you're not doing anything worthwhile. Like nothing that you're doing is better than anything else. And, and this is whatever. I just felt like we're just going to explore who I'm just going to be who I am. And mm. that's sort of how we did it. But then that song got really big. And then it was like, then, then she says what she means, which I thought was undeniable was going to be a big, and the only reason that song didn't do well is because money city just kept sticking around right. and the label didn't know how to work that label uh, stations didn't want to play the other song because they were still playing that song. Had we waited, but I didn't know how we could have waited. So it, it kind of, we spent a lot of money on the video. I'm happy with the video, but but anyway, by the time we had played out between the bridges, I was like, and they, I'm pretty together. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And then we did. And then I pushed us to do action back, which was even more hard rock. But, but, um, but you talked about the rock and roll tradition a second ago. And, and just speaking about maybe not being totally happy at the time with Twice Removed, you know, you come around to 96, 97 in the party album, which I, you know, as fans know, is sort of like a mm-hmm. recorded album in the style of the Beach Boys with the audience added after or whatever. But mm-hmm. it opens with I Can Feel It, which I, as a fan, I mean, that was me, that, like 96 was my first year of fandom. And hearing the party album, it was just like, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't know what, I didn't know I Can Feel It at first. I, I think maybe the party okay. album was my first time hearing it. And then I was like, oh, I go back and it's on Twice Removed. And it, would it, am I right to maybe imagine that that was sort of, I don't know, not an acceptance or like coming to grips with uh, the album that maybe you weren't so excited about? Or or is it just maybe a way to, a nice way to start off an album of that tone? Because you guys are covering lots of classic songs there. Yeah, I, I think probably we did it I mean, I've always liked the song. We've always liked it. Jennifer was there, so she was probably, I think she was involved in that record. And so that right. was like, well, you got to do that because she's right, going right, to right. right. Which at the time was a bit of an odd thing anyway, because like I'd been, we'd been uh, an item and then we weren't. And so I'd written that song about her and also a little bit about my sister, but like mainly about her. And then wow. she's singing it with me because I got her to sing on it in New York. Because she in jail, she was down with jail maybe. Right. for a little while and so i got her to sing on that and um she had sung on the record before obviously so she was there i think that's probably but I, you know that's an appropriate song you would play at that type of a party i guess but yeah again though like like i don't hear i feel like um i can feel it i don't like who do you think that sounds like i don't I, you know, I don't really like to play that game, but like, I can't think of what the influence would have been on that song. No, there's, there's a lot of like, you know, I mean, you can, you can see, you can make the argument about songs like Money City where it's like, okay, you know, the riff over the the solid baseline is is more in some of ACDC, but you know, a lot of so much of Sloan is like Aaron Pinto, who's been a guest on us, refers to you guys as a desert island cheat code. So whatever your top 10 desert island discs are you guys kind of cover all of those bands, you know, Sloan would be somebody's singular choice because there's so much right, you know, there's right. A variety hmm. and it's not as yeah. though you're hearing the, the, the actual inspiration for the song. You're hearing your version of it, of whatever that inspiration right. might've been. Well, you know? the, the, I mean, this is one thing that because I'm 
51 and so also an old man is that i get really mad about people playing the what like what was this song that you like what song are you trying to rip off with this so now i am saying that music is a learning you need to learn it and you, and you, and music is reinterpretation but i also think that at some point certainly recently um it's yeah i i like i do feel that there is there is room to be yourself within it doesn't have to be original but it's yourself so i guess it is like the osmosis of everything that you've brought in yeah mm-hmm. or there's like she says what she means or muddy city which is like purposely done like we were aware of what we were doing but yeah i can mm-hmm. feel it is i don't yeah i can't even think of how that came i don't even know how i i mean it's also like a complicated it's like weird chords in it for me <laughs> at that time <laughs> it, it was probably a bit more ambitious i probably it's a fluke that it sounds as complicated as it does chord wise um speaking of reinterpretation uh i think you know one of one of the elements that i've been observing over the past few years in in, in your songwriting that's really interested me is that reinterpretation of your maybe of some songs that you've had on the back burner for 20 plus years. So I think right. back to like my first, my first realization of this was Ill, Ill Place Trust coming out for Never Hear the End of It, which I had heard as the Vermonstrous version on that, on that oh, right. leg from 94, 93. Um, probably. Is there, is it safe to say that there's more material that you could pick up and reinterpret for a 2020s? Audience. Oh yeah. Oh, like older songs that have been released, or like old songs that I haven't released. Yeah, sure. Old songs that you haven't released. I'm thinking of, yeah. you know, like Day, Day Will Be Mine is something that came out. Day Will Be Mine was ago. another one. Yeah, and Day Will Be Mine I did on purpose to introduce. In my mind, was to introduce Fuzzed Out because okay. I wanted to do. I wanted to do to revisit smeared era stuff, and that's what right. that's supposed to be. So, like that would be that would have been the way that song sounds. Probably that's how it would have been on if we had done smeared two. It probably would have been songs like that. Um, but uh, maybe, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I think um, that is also part of it is is um, is being influenced by myself. I guess that's what I sort of, or being influenced by Sloan. Like uh, I could say that They Will Be Mine sounds like, I mean, it's just a walk down. So it could be mm. any band, but like, mm. but I feel that there are elements to that song that you would find in, really early versions of stuff that Sloan had done and maybe guitar playing little bendy things that I would have done. Um, it was a nod to that. And, but at the same time, I don't feel like it's, I still feel like it's, it's music I could still be making. Like, I don't feel that if we made a smeared sounding record that, it, I mean, that's the record Chris wants to tour next is smeared. Yeah, and sure. so, uh, or at least I don't know if we tour it, tour it, but because I, I, he also doesn't want to go on tour that much. Neither do I, but anymore, but like, um, you know, it's it would probably be more fun to perform for us than Between the Bridges, for instance, because we've mm. kind of done that. We twice removed and maybe blues. They're all the same to me. They, yeah. To me, they're kind of interchangeable a little bit. Like, mm. not so much one. Uh, yeah, I said one chord before, but I kind of feel like, like, because Between the Bridges and Navy Blues are, one is just kind of part two of the other, right. really. Mm. But we never talk about that. Not for me, though, because I wrote three new songs for the record, but so, uh, but I would say half the songs on between the bridges were were started for navy blues that's right and then and then uh like we have a song or he has a chris has a song uh what the hell's it called so beyond me and uh at one point when he did it for navy blues he was talking he wanted to do or no it was for between the bridges maybe but he wanted to do a double record 
and so the line was, we got a new double record and we're coming on follow right. to you or something. Yeah. Like and I was like, we're not making, what are you talking? We're not making a double record and you can't put, we're got, like, you can't sing on in the studio. We're doing a double record. If we don't know if we're doing a double record. And he's like, well, no, we'll do a double. I was like, I don't know. What? Just, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's a super self-referential. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's referencing something that there's no way you didn't talk to me about this. I didn't know we were doing a double record. Although I didn't know we were do, doing a double record either when we did a double record. So <laughs> that's yeah. right. Fantastic. I, I brought one specific song question. I, I, yeah. I wanted to avoid asking questions about specific songs, but I was really intrigued in finding out that there is somewhere out there a primal scream accelerator version of if it feels good, do it. Will this ever see the light of day? I don't think so. Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the, here's the weird thing about that is that the riff for Feels Good Do It, which is is Get Ready or whatever that song is. Mm. Or no. Whatever that song. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, Brendan Maguire came up with that. I did. I had a different, a slightly different riff going on and he came up with that bass line. And, somebody's, and then I put it in drop D. But um uh but the whole the well part of it if you listen to that song like the intro and the middle part is all just samples all put together of us it's from the demo and it's from us yeah so like um the drum beat at the beginning and the drum beat in the middle are it's the drums through my guitar pick pickup oh wow um and there's like a little weird like harmonic it almost sounds like a violin that's just that's just a noise that the guitar made like that's not and then I was just going through things and I heard that and then I just like looped it and I was like, that sounds cool. And, and maybe, maybe he played drums again on top of it. I can't remember, but like, um, and then there's all this wah stuff that's like, like this, like really cut up stuff. And it's because my wah pedal that I bought when we were touring one chord had finally crapped out to the point where if you turned it on, it was just shrill, <laughs> like, like, uh, like a mist, a haze of, of, uh, whatever. So like, I, I just, we had that and I just like, I'm just going to turn that into something. So, and so when we were in, in Vancouver mixing that record, Dave Ogilvy, who speaking of like skinny puppy and every other band and Bowie and everything in nine inch nails is like, he's ground zero for all of that. Mm-hmm. And here I am with like a computer, I'm pointing at the computer I'm talking into <laughs> a computer, like the one I'm using now. And I'm in like warehouse and I'm like trying to piece this thing together with these samples. Like I'm, the orb or something like you know what i mean like as if i've like he's sort of like you know oh yeah i kind of know what samples are and so i anyway i built this whole thing and i built the middle part and the whole intro of course with the know what rock and roll is about is because i because when i did the demo maybe this way when i did the demo yeah when i did the demo i put it was a sample of paul stanley saying right his songs for people who know what rock and roll is about Hmm. or whatever and then chip was like i don't think Knowing Gene Simmons, there's no way you put that on the record. So then we just got Chris. I was like, okay, well, and then I think he was like, well, you can just say it. So then we just got Chris to say it. That's awesome. Um, but I wanted it to be Paul Stanley. But <laughs> Is that the, the Kiss Alive? Yeah. Is it Kiss Alive 3, three that he says that? Three. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somebody Somehow I ended up with a copy of that. And I went through it and I listened to Because I know I've heard the, I've heard the, um, you know, the compilations of him just talking. Like, oh, so good. Paul Stanley yeah. talking. Yeah. I, I I did the same thing just with all the talking on that live record, just because it's just oh my god. I mean, and then I I mean I've seen them. I've, I assume you guys have seen Kiss, but like 
it's just unbelievable. Like I, that is a band that I just don't even, I have no idea how they are still going, <laughs> but you know, I like Paul Stanley's fine. <laughs> Do you remember, this is just a, a total quiz show thing for me. Like that the audience that's chanting at the beginning of the song, is that probably like four song. nights maybe, or yeah, they're, they're... I, I, I probably took, Oh, you know what though? I'm not sure because maybe it is, but we had, I had other, like we have other, takes of those songs from the live album because mm. he, he recorded most of, or a lot of the songs are sorry a lot of the shows i think around toronto and montreal like because underwhelmed maybe is the last one it's in montreal it's not in toronto because we would always he was recording to adat and he would always run out of adat before right. the end of the show and because of lsd damage or something he never thought to maybe sometimes start it later in the show so finally we got underwhelmed um but i have a bunch of other brendan one time we were on tour for smeared and he did acid and then he went he fell out of a tree because he was on acid we were in like arizona or something and i was rooming with our tour manager who was this british bulldog like a complete thug skinhead and uh and anyway brendan is like brendan fall brendan is this hippie guy right falls out of a tree because there were ants in the tree and he thought they were going to crawl all over him or something. And he, he really messed up his knee and he comes limping back to the motel and banging oh on the God. door. And I open the door with Dave Salt, tour manager. And he's just like, Dave's just like, anyway, so Brendan. So yeah, the, um, I may have taken that from a different, one of the different tapes because we were supposed to listen mm-hmm. to t- like three or four different tapes and they were all kind of the same. I mean, I, it would drive me crazy if I, if I had those tapes now. Cause I would probably be listening to every version and just, you know, <laughs> yeah, going crazy. Know. Yeah. I don't, yeah, that would, yeah. And then, and well, that whole live, I don't know if you guys know how angry I am about that live album, but Hit us um, <laughs> it's not really bad. So we did the live, the live album screwed us up because first of all, don't ever do a live album because it's a waste <laughs> of money, but they don't sell unless you're Frampton. And then um, obviously, yeah. yeah, right. And then, but um, the uh, no, it's because we we did that live album, and then we did between the or then we did yeah between the bridges, mm-hmm. but Universal went really pushed promoting the live album, and then when it came time to do between the bridges, they were like, well, we just did Navy Blues in this live album. Like, yeah. how much money do you want us to spend? You're not even signed to us, and so it's like that kind of got the shaft that way. And mm. uh, but the other thing too is like the inside picture. Uh, is I think the inside picture is Japan, not Toronto. Right. The front page, the front cover is Halifax. Mm-hmm. All the gear is rented, and um, and we're not playing. We're just standing there, mm-hmm. and it's just like this is nothing. None of this is legit. Like this is all made up. But like you're talking about. Uh, I mean, because you were saying like. Like a lot of live albums are fake, right? Not yeah. just sure. Like well, you're, a lot. it sounds like you're describing the first Kiss Alive album. You know, like the cover Probably. is totally, you know, staged yeah. and yeah. Well, maybe that's what. Maybe, yeah, well, like uh, Unleashed in the East, the priest, the Judas Priest record. I remember right. looking at that when I first got it. I was like, it sounds so great. It sounds amazing, and like they look cool. And I was like, wait, is this shot like in a studio or something? And then I started <laughs> listening to it. it was like, is his voice double tracked? Like, what's going on here? And then I realized it's not a real live album. Um, but. I don't care. Like it's still good. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, yeah, there's just those little, at that time there was like these little inconsistencies, but they were so adamant about being super true to certain things, but then not other things like Mm. the album cover doesn't 
it's completely made up. But and it was only because we didn't, I guess we didn't get a, a photograph or something that mm-hmm. they liked. So they restaged the whole thing. Or he wow. wanted Catherine Stockhausen to take the picture, and she lived in, in Halifax. I can't remember which it was. Yeah, I mean, I um, think we're. I mean, I think for the most part, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's almost like going to see a movie. Like you realize that not that you guys are actors or whatever, but I mean, there's a there is a performance, there's a presentation. And uh, I think you can separate the two. You can appreciate the art and, you know, like, I mean, for me, seeing the Four Nights album when I got it, it was just like, oh, this thing looks so fucking great. It sounds so great. It didn't even occur to me that the shot on the cover is not like from a show or whatever, you know. So, you know, for me, it's sort of not caring so much about how the sausage is made. It tastes great, you know. Right. That's and that's usually because I I definitely have been asked uh, in an interview, not these days, but like years ago, like, you know, about guitar sounds or about um how, uh, certainly people talking about like what amp, what mics did you use or preamps or whatever on this recording or that recording well we did twice removed we used a lot of vintage gear but a lot of times certainly from between the bridges on we were recording digitally and it wasn't as glamorous i mean sometimes it has been but but there are a couple of people in toronto that are major gearhead fanatic guys and really into like classic uh like the classic way of recording this, that, and they would say like, yeah, your album sounds, this album sounds so perfect. You've got this specific mic and this, whatever I can really tell it. And I'm like, it's a plug in. Like I literally just plugged my guitar in and just, <laughs> I, I didn't know what sound I wanted. So I just plugged it in and then, but you know, so that you're right. Like the, how the sausage is made. Like, I don't really want, like it, I don't have a lot of fun stories about, I don't, when I record, for instance, I don't use a lot of vintage gear or whatever. I just use specific things that work. Yeah. And I, and that was my thing about dinosaur. I had a little story about dinosaur, but or no, uh, it's not a story. But uh, Jay Mask was talking about like when he most of the uh, leads he does and stuff are done on Telecasters. They're not done on hmm. Jaguars, even though he's known as the Jaguar guy. But that's right. So yeah. you don't really want to know that. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's a cool fact, but at the same time, it's like. Or or the the solo in, in the reason that the good and everyone solo the reason that song was a question mark at all was the solo, and it was only because I plugged a Les Paul into a fifty one fifty head, and that's a PV head, and PV wasn't cool, and Van Halen wasn't cool, or new Van Halen, whatever, and so that was the thing, and then I double tracked it, and it just sounded like a rock, like it's I was trying to sound like Ace Freely, even though I'm not a big Kiss fan, but that's, that's yeah. supposed to be Ace Freely or Zach, I guess, and yeah. who's kind of doing a bit with the wide vibrato that's what i was trying for was the wide vibrato and um uh but that's what got the eyebrows raised (laughs) Mm. uh and then but then it turned out fine and you know but yeah i the the step between how do you get from like torn to the good and everyone or money city is a bit weird and i can see where it would turn people off for sure it probably turned me off you know i was pissed when electric came out i was i loved the Colts love record. And then I heard electric is like, I was a huge ACDC fan. I was like, or, or saturation by, uh, urge overkill. I was like, they're not a, what do they do? Like, this isn't, it's kind of hard rock, but it's kind of like you're, you're approximating what you think hard rock is. Mm. You know what I mean? That's how I felt at the time. Uh, I like electric now, but I just felt like the cult is not ACDC and Rick, Rick Rubin is not ACDC. Mm. You know? I think I think a lot of fans will probably share the same sentiment about Action Pact and looking twenty years back on it, it's grown on us oh, as well. I see, so yeah. that's you know, that's the that's 
a whole other episode that we'll be having to to do. Oh, have me on there. And my, oh, you're you're going to be on it. And I was going to say my stance is that I loved Action Pack then. I still love it now. So there you go. Yeah. I want to say too. I mean, it's interesting. Like looking at the band and sort of the the the, the one the great that one of the great things about you guys is just the different characters in the band. Everybody's got such a personality. And as you you know, as your fandom grows, you you hear a song and it's like, oh, that's that guy and that's that guy. And for me, you've always kind of been the sort of uh, most progressive in a way, like you know, the one who will be the first, like, you know, or at least back in the day, like when the album came out, it's like, Oh, what's he, what's Patrick going to look like oh, this I time? See. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, or, or the one musically who'd be kind of pushing the edges the most, you know? Yeah. Part of that is probably just trying to piss off, like literally trying to piss off the other guys in the band <laughs> a little bit, like just sort of saying like, not, well, just, yeah. Pushing it that way. Just sort of like, you know, you can also do this. You don't have to be, you don't have to go, into classic rock this way you can go into classic rock this way too but i think a lot of it also was understanding when we did when we um like one chord to another is fine but like when we did uh when we did navy blues we did a lot of promotion for that record and that pushed us into a different everything was every all the ducks were in line for that one and it worked out really well uh and the big thing that we had with money city uh got played on the radio good and everyone and everything you've done wrong didn't get played on the radio they got played on much music and um they got played on the edge or whatever whatever it was cfny or whatever but they didn't really get played on the radio and it wasn't until a little bit later and when that happened that was a whole different thing because then it was like well now what do we do do we pursue this and start doing radio shows and have to live in that world or do we want to continue some people wanted to continue in like the more of an art college sonic youth like do you want to be sonic youth yeah in 87 or do you want to be sonic youth in 92 because mm. like they, to me they were kind of different and whatever but like you know what i mean like we could and we kind of did go the for a period we went more of the radio way but just the personalities as you're saying and who we are and the fact that some people didn't want to be there and some people did meant that we were always seen as maybe a little bit of a sore thumb or a problem a little bit. So that, and I didn't mind that. Like we weren't so easy to pigeonhole because it's kind of, we're kind of ACDC, but we're kind of punk rock, but we're kind of Beatlesy, but we're kind of, and then you got the guy who's goofy, but then the other guy's really handsome and moody in the back. And like, everybody's got their personality. And we really pushed that uh, at one point, Chris and Jay really pushed that for sure. Yeah. And I didn't feel that comfortable at first, but just getting older and being around people and realizing like I, you know, even before I was in Sloan, I felt that I was doing something musically that would leave some sort of imprint, even just a little tiny one. Mm. Uh, and now recently there was talk about like, who's going to be in the rock and roll or the, the, sorry, the Canadian songwriting hall of fame. And we came up as well, I guess we've been eligible for like nine years or something. <laughs> I didn't know. And I was just cool. like thinking like, if I were to go to that, who would I go with? I don't know what I would do, but I don't really have any interest in going to anything like that unless it involves a large cash prize. <laughs> uh, but then at the same time, I'm thinking, well, like, cause my kids, my, my uh, eldest daughter, Ivy plays guitar. Marshall's starting to play guitar more seriously. And maybe they would like to, like, I've never really thought about, aside from providing money, I've never really thought about, or the fact that I just look like a, maniac when i pick my kids up from school because i just look weird uh, um <clears throat> or these days i uh i never really think of the impact of what i do like maybe they would like that is what i point maybe they would yeah, like yeah. like i don't care about winning junos i never cared about that i make a joke about it sometimes but 
I mean, we've been nominated a bunch of times and we've gone a couple of times, but I don't really care that much, but maybe somebody else would eventually, you know? So I guess you have to take that into consideration. Yeah. Or, cool. or, or like, you know, I think if Sloan were to win a, a Grammy or a, a Juno, it would be good for the fans of uh, people who've stuck, you know, stuck with us and, and like, you know, doing things like this and, and are aware of more than just cursory knowledge. And so, that uh, it's a cliche and lots of bands say it, but like, it does become like that. It beca- like, as I say, we are a self-contained thing where once we mm. show up, we have everything. We have lights, we have everything. We can bring everything. Everybody we work with is top notch because we've been around forever. Yeah. They're the top notch we can afford. And, um, but they are. And uh, like our, like we don't sound check and it takes them about an hour and a half to two hours to set everything up. Like mm. it's easy. Yeah. And so, uh, but that, that with that, is also people who come to us see us all the time people who make trips people who spend lots of money people who are on patreon people who are like our pictures and, and see our these are people that are not casual fans this is like a big deal this is yeah. what we worked for for yeah. 30 years and yes. so we have to take it seriously and it's not enough to be aloof and definitely i spent a lot of time after shows drinking and not wanting to sign autographs but it's not it's just more just selfishness but i do these days more and more feel especially after being forced to take a year off it's been good covid's been really good for us mm-hmm. uh no but it's been good in terms of like being able to step away yeah and not be able to do things because we would have just been doing the same shit every year mm-hmm. and we took a year away from it and maybe when we come back it'll be the same but maybe it won't be i don't know yeah it's an interesting interesting perspective i mean yeah you're going to return to something that you that is at once so f- so familiar but perhaps new perspectives and uh you know. Yeah, I, I, maybe, I probably for a lot of people, a lot of bands, yeah, and a lot of performers, uh, and and I'm really nervous and curious to see what happens because the, there could have been a, a great reset within the music business. Like it might be that we come back out and promoters are like, yeah, we don't want to like. There's all these other bands that we don't take a chance on, and they'll go cheaper. So maybe we'll mm-hmm. just start with those guys, and then we're mm-hmm. like, uh oh, you know. So I hopefully that isn't the case, but you know. I like to think that it'll be that it'll be a big time celebration. It'll be and people will be think, happy to see you know the bands that they've loved for so long. And you guys obviously no question about it. You know, uh, and, and from a fan perspective, you were just talking about winning awards and stuff. And for me, I mean, it, it'd be cool if that kind of stuff brings more of a spotlight to you guys because obviously we as fans are like you know as long as you know more the merrier in terms of you know the 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 Sloan camp, the the group of fans, the Sloan fans. But uh, you know, speaking as a fan, you know. I think I speak for everybody listening, you know, the thing we want more than anything is just like for you guys to keep existing, you know, like more music, more tours, whatever, whatever you guys are capable of offering. Um, And and if you guys gave up tomorrow, I mean, there's such a legacy there, you know, you guys are peerless. So, you know, I don't want to make you blush or whatever, but. uh... (laughs) Well, lighting's making me look all right anyway, but I, um, I, uh, I appreciate that. And and we, we, we always appreciate it. That and that's something that's again, like you can think about it a lot, but or not think about it. But like, it's four guys get together as you, you know, being in bands or whatever. Like four guys get together in somebody's basement, and then we're doing all this and talking about these things, and and we're not mega stars, so we are literally professional musicians, and that's fine. But like, I like that, and uh, but mm-hmm. the, you know, so I don't, I I really unless there's somebody passes away or there's a huge fight i don't think we're going to stop for at least 10 years yeah i can't see it yeah because awesome. we, we we really do like doing it still like yeah. you know so uh i'm looking forward to doing a, a record 
and I'm not always like that, but I, I, I definitely think it'll be good to have new stuff. And I've heard some of the stuff the other guys are do have demoed and it's all good. You know, it's the usual thing, you know? <laughs> awesome. So, uh, is, is there a song yeah. title that you have now that you're like, you know what, that's definitely going to be on the new one so that in a year's time or something, oh, we can right. look back and be like, Oh yeah, he called it. That was going to be yeah. one of the good, you know, the single is going to be, will be called, uh, scratch the surface. Okay, <laughs> that's one of them. I think awesome. I'll call it that. Um, I can't think of what the others. Oh, there's a really there's a there'll be a good ballady one too. Good tear jerker. So fantastic, fantastic. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, cool man. I'm glad. I'm glad everything could fall apart so you guys could be entertained. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, and I appreciate all, like, this is amazing that you guys are doing this. And as I say, I, I tend to get a little bit too, I don't want to be too into my own band, you know what I mean? Like, sure. I like to just sort of mm. step back a little bit. But It's um, healthy, but I, it's healthy, yeah. But I, I am also really, like, the people who Patreon or people who tune into the the live shows, the, the, the acoustic shows, like, you know, the first one was quite, there was a lot of people, but by the second, third, and fourth, um, it was kind of the same people, and it's the same group of people, mm. and they're kind of moving from one to the other. And I think that that's that's great. Like, the, yeah. like we have that. Like, yeah. a lot of people don't have that. Well, and I think we we envision this podcast as well as sort of the podcast for the five percent nation and not for the masses. You know, this is really we're diving into topics that probably wouldn't interest ninety five percent of Sloan fans. So we hope that we're doing something for the for the legacy, and it's uh, you know it's fantastic that we can have you on here to to dig into things that might just not be interesting for 95 percent of people <laughs> i'm very interesting let's be clear no but uh but i mean you know I, yeah i i i um i hope that uh i'm I, i'm willing to if you have any um what's the word uh questions after then be sure to let me know and I'll, I'll let you know. I'll well, send you that list of all those people because it's, oh, please it's kind of cool. I mean, being in touch with some people, I don't, I'm not very, I mean, I obviously talked about it here, but I haven't been very boisterous about not mm. drinking anymore. But mm. uh, I mean, a couple of people I've talked to in the business who have quit since uh, I've talked to, but, um, but at the same time, uh, uh, uh I don't remember. Oh yeah. The, the list. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it's, it's, uh, I have been talking to a few people, uh, even fans who know about it and stuff or whatever. And, mm. and it's nice to, it's, I have a little bit of something to say about it. You know what I mean? Well, uh, actually one of the songs, one of the songs, actually the other single, the first single will be at the moment is called alcohol outro. So that could be one. I forgot about it. swearing in that one too. I mean, Hello. They're trying to get me. They're trying to get me to change it again. Are you guys going to get a sticker on the front of the album for the first time? I don't think that we've ever. I, I, I'll I'll probably get bullied out of it. I'll probably <laughs> saying something else. No, I don't. I mean, swearing is whatever. I don't. I don't need to swear. Get my point across. <laughs> Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, what was I going to say? I mean, not to get too deep or anything like that, but I mean, let's say, I mean, I've actually had friends too. I, I've noticed on Instagram over the past year even, um, maybe more so, and I think maybe even people are just more in tune with like being more vocal about this kind of thing, but people who stopped smoking, stopped drinking right. or whatever, you know, like, and so not that there's necessarily somebody out there in the same situation and kind of wondering how to go about that. But I mean, just anybody who kind of needs motivation, like was well, there anything for you that kind of was the driver? 
Well, one thing that I've done in the past was talk about, uh, write about and talk about anxiety and depression, which I, a lot of people suffer from, obviously, and I do. And so I was boisterous about that or vocal about that, sorry, and asked because I used to work at Bell Media, like write for Bell Media. And stuff, yeah. so. um, but I do think that, uh, yeah, I think that as immature as it might sound or whatever, what, part of what I do or what we do as performers is try to be cool or you look to people who are kind of cool, right? Everybody does. But like, yeah. I, I don't know if 51 year old civil engineers do, but 51 year old lead guitarists do. And so it's immature or whatever, but like, there are cool people that were, that uh, if you take like a Bobby Gillespie or something like uh, who's like a, a known drug maniac or Nick cave or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Like all these people are uh, to be clear though, I'm not interested in necessarily being, clear-headed it's not about being straight edge or something i just right. don't drink like i smoke pot all the time sure it's caffeine caffeine and thc but all <laughs> over and over and over but i like it and i like it way better than alcohol like booze was just hmm. there's a lot of issues with that but but um but yeah i think that uh it's it's so it's so weird it's so prevalent in the music business still and you don't realize it like you don't know the amount of people that because now it used to be like everybody's doing coke or they were or they were drinking a lot right and now it's like pills or taking like xanax and stuff like that and it's just like i mean i know people always were but like it's just like i've sort of stepped away from that but i think that people being uh people being locked up and people feeling i think there's a lot of self reflection uh, maybe like reflection or or just trying to to put your life in in perspective of other people's because everybody was sort of forced to be in the same boat and yeah, it's like then funny. you start thinking about like well you start listening to other people and what they're go, what they're doing, how they're dealing with things, and what they're going through. And I, I did see a ton of like, you know, it's the statistically drinking and everything went up. Well, that makes sense because this is very stressful, and people yeah. turn to that for, for stress. I mean, that that was my thing about vaccines. However, you feel about them, so many people who were sort of afraid of it, and it's like. I know you people like I know what you're pouring into you know, you are consuming carcinogens on a daily basis nonstop <laughs> yeah. even the fact that everybody owns couches and there's fibers coming off your couch in the air like you know what I mean it's like uh, you put way worse even if it is going to kill us all like it's it doesn't it's a, you're, we're screwed anyway but anyway uh, there's a lot of damage happens and I think also that I think that there's a lot like I know people in the music business in Canadian music business that were really messed up and nobody would ever know and yeah. and that's and that's in part because uh, because people don't care. They just want you to. They just want some of these people to. Anyway, like, it's it's. Um, I do think that uh, there is. I think any attention to that type of thing is is a good thing. Yeah. Know? Because as I said, like I I mean, and I have people talk to me all the time about songs that I've written about things that mean a lot to them, and and uh, that's a weird thing for people to say and or to talk about, but then you feel a little bit of a, a responsibility or at least you feel that you're at least you feel that you are not wasting your time all the time, you know, what I mean? or just not being self self-absorbed because oftentimes I'll write about other people, but it sounds like I might be writing about myself, but it doesn't, I mean, and you can be self-absorbed, but, but it's a universal thing. It's a, it's a thing, you know, most of what we write about and sing about are things that everybody feels. Hmm. Well, I would hope that, you know, the, the fan reaction and people appreciating your songs wouldn't be something that is like sort of weighing you down at all. You know, like um, we admittedly open up every episode of this show with, you know, refer- referencing to the band as the greatest band of all time, you know, and that's our, pre- that's our personal, you know, opinion. Um, it's our personal objective opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, uh, I, 
Yeah, sorry. I definitely have bands. I sorry, I was just gonna say I, I have bands that I feel this I know what you mean. Like yeah. I, it's that's another weird thing to get used to is is and I talked about that on Patreon too, is like referring to people as fans versus friends or fans versus people who are into your band. And it's like at some point I just have to let go of these things and just use the terminology that I'm gonna use. Like you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. And um but when you start to use terms like that, then you have to start to think about what that means and, and what the responsibility is for what you say. I mean, I would never censor myself of not, not singing about something, but I do realize sometimes, like, I don't want to really tackle this issue because it's not going to go well. <laughs> Get called out. Although, I mean, there's something to be said for being a little bit controversial, but I'm not really interested in that. If anybody in the band's going to do it, I would uh, assume it would be you, I guess. But uh... <laughs> No, I think if anybody did it, it would be Andrew. Oh, yeah, okay. Andrew would, Andrew would sing something and they'd be like, what? But it would <laughs> be like a long time before anybody would realize. Well, I, I wrote this thing and I talked about that song, uh, I'm Not Through With You Yet, where I had yeah. a line cut and pick mm-hmm. a moment. And I felt like I don't have to change that. I do see that it might be problematic with people. And more importantly, it doesn't have to be in the song. So. I'll just change it. I don't care. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not going to make a stand and say like, you know, language is language and it can mean, well, I'm not going to bother because it's, I don't care that much and I don't see the point in offending people for something like that. But if it was something else, like, so, like I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the cops. I'm not a big fan of religion. I'm not a big fan of certain things. I would like Hollowhead is sort of a, about religion, mm-hmm. uh, I guess. Uh, although not specifically any religion, but uh, things like, you know, I definitely, I mean, you can get Chris talking about religion. <laughs> He's, uh, you know, but anyway. That'll be our Sunday be episode. Our Sunday. <laughs> Coming yeah. up. Yeah. He, well, he, he, I don't know if you guys have played any of his hymns, but I've always, I, I, I remember in the past encouraging him to write a record of hymns. Because <laughs> he likes all that, but he's just not into, I think he just likes the community aspect of it more than the. Yeah actual religious aspect yeah i I can relate to that for sure some of the music's Mm -hmm. really good and yeah the communal thing is awesome well i'll I'll wrap it up by saying this i mean we've talked a lot about the songs and you know the band and everything and you know for the for the people at home right now who are listening who haven't seen you guys in a year or whatever uh you know thanks for the solo shows and thanks for still existing and we can't wait to hear you guys and uh yeah to hear what's coming up next and uh yeah so just a message from everybody i mean i'm sure you get it on instagram a little bit as well but um well i again as like just having people uh, sort of month after month or we get you know uh, pay to see you play acoustic guitars like really cool it's really nice so and that is also the the result of what's happened now because a lot Mm. of people are doing that that wouldn't have done that before Mm. so there's that it comes back you know what i mean like definitely to us yeah well thanks for doing what you do and uh, we're going to be here to hear it and can't wait for the next thing the next record and the next solo show and uh, thanks for joining us today. Hopefully, action-packed episode with Patrick coming up, everybody. That'll be great. That'll be awesome. All Thank right, you, sir. Yes, we will talk All to right. you soon. Thank you so much, Patrick, for joining okay. us today. I'll see you guys. Okay. Take, Take care. care. All right, and there it is, Pat, the Patrick Penland. Amazing. We are two for four with the members of Sloan, everybody. Ken, how was that? How awesome was that? That was fantastic. And, you know, <laughs> if this content tantalizes you, as it should... Um, I mentioned this beforehand, make sure to check out Patrick on Patreon, make sure to follow him on Patreon, make sure to show a man some love. Um, It's been a really turbulent year for musicians out there. And this is just one of many ways to show your support and really get into that inner circle um, of of fandom. Uh, It's uh, he's posting, he's posting quite regularly. And it's a real great insight into the inner workings of 
the genius that we just spoke to. And speaking of, uh, you know, you want to follow Patrick on Patreon, which you can link through his Instagram. Uh, Jay Fergalicious Ferguson is coming up a solo show. I don't know by the time you hear this, if he's done it already, if not, it's April 24th at eight uh, side door uh, productions or side door entertainment. The ticket info is in his uh, bio on Instagram, jferguson.iii or jferguson the third. So definitely check that out. Duly noted is a new one from tons. You got to check that guy out. Mm. And uh, Patrick's fuzzed out uh, stuff is available out there digitally as well. So check it out. Andrew, of course, selling paintings on Instagram. So you got to go check that out. And uh, we will be with you with a new episode shortly, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you really love this one. And, uh, you know, let's bug those other two guys and get them on as well. Maybe even get them listening. So we hope... uh, We'll hear you. We'll see you, and we'll hear you next time. Uh, until then, keep snowing. Bye, guys. <laughs>